Welcome everyone to the mightiest podcast in the nine realms, metas and mutants. I am Tombstone the Dead Man, and this is my fellow agent of Shield, Super Psy Guy. What up? What's going down? Oh, you know, just finished watching season two of the Umbrella Academy yesterday. Same here. Same here. What well, like like if you was to give a really quick uh, review of it. What is, what is your thoughts on it? Oh, season two is fantastic. And if I, I get season one kind of started slow. Yeah, yeah. But it finished so strong. Oh, yes. two picks up exactly where season one left off. Didn't, didn't miss a beat. Didn't Not miss only beat. that, but like you got to see some pretty strong character development from a few guys that were kind of just there right in right. the last season facts facts diego was definitely fleshed out oh man He's diego was fleshed out. out you got a you got a fair bit of development around 5 as well yep 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 obviously they they explored more in depth the relationship between klaus and ben yeah, yeah. Klaus is the funniest man. <laughs> he's, yeah, he's the funniest man. He is the funniest. I, I also like the angle with the cult thing. I thought. Oh yeah. <laughs> I thought that shit was so hilarious. Um, and and I'm I'm like you and now like my my I didn't have an issue with anything I saw in there. I only have an issue with one character, and you know oh, which one was that. Luther, man, like Luther, they should change his name to Loser. Like I have never seen <laughs> such an ineffectual big man in my life. So inconsistent with his strength and power levels and his durability levels. Like extremely inconsistent. At one moment, he's punching a hole through a brick wall, and then the next moment, he can't really knock a guy out. And I'm like, no. Do you realize that that that's like. Take a Spider-Man. Spider-Man can crush bricks with his grip. If he wants to knock you out, he's going to knock you out. And it's not going to take a lot to do it. It's boop, you know. But Luther, man, classic example, the beginning of uh, this season where they showed how it was that last battle where Russia had invaded the United States and oh, the, and he just sort of tanked the he missile tanked blast. the missile blast, no problem. But then I see people knocking him the fuck out, and I'm like, <laughs> like, huh? <laughs> like, yeah, that, come on. There is no person that that is a regular human, baseline human that's not enhanced, a meta or a mutant that can throw a punch. That has the same uh, uh, power Force. as a missile. Force a mi- he should never be knocked out by some regular person. Never. <laughs> never. So I, I don't understand, man. Like, I don't understand. Um, but be that as it may, with, even with him, I love to hate on him. So it's still entertaining. Like me picking out things. Look at that. He can't do that. Look at that. He can't do this. Wow, I didn't yeah. know he could, that. Even that part is entertaining to me in the um in the show. So I can't wait to see what they do with season three. But I know there's going to be a season three because I look on social media and all, all I see. And granted, my uh, timeline is cultivated 
to you people that like some of the same shit that I do. But I see a whole bunch of people raving about the Umbrella Academy, Academy season uh, two. So, oh, it is so good though. I mean, y- and you got to see like all, every one of their interactions with Reginald. Yes, in season yes. two was great. <laughs> yes, yes, absolutely. Absolutely. And like season three left off on, or season two left off on such a cliffhanger ready for season three. Right. That it's like, all right, all right, you got me hooked. Yeah. Because I, I remember that when I first started watching season one, mm-hmm. it was more like, yeah, I know a few people saying it's good, a few saying it's bad. It's what, whatever. You know what? I have nothing better to watch. Right. And the right. first couple episodes were like, yeah, it's just enough to keep me wanting to watch it, but Same. not really enough to get me hooked. Same. And then, but like like I said, about halfway through season one, it just got me. It's like, okay, you know what? I, I need more of this. Right. And right. then season two, just from the get-go, started off on that same energy of, oh, I need more i cannot stop watching this well you know what i think happened with a lot of people i think a lot of people started watching it and they couldn't get past the first you know uh first part of the season so they may have given up on it too soon but i was like you where there's just enough here to keep me curious to see what's gonna happen next it's just enough and when it finally opened up and they had done as much of the um the the setting up process as they wanted to do. I mean, it just like some of the twist, some of the shit that you're like, whoa, really? Some of the reveals, it was amazing. And like you said, uh, season two just starts off kicking and it keeps on kicking. Like it just keeps on like grabbing you to the point where by the time it was over, I felt like we didn't have enough episodes. (laughs) Like, uh, no episodes, we we need some more of this, right? And how they handled a few topics, like how they handled the whole race thing. Because it's 1960s U.S. Facts. They did that very well. Facts. Facts. Like that, it it was quite good for how they handled that. It's like, all right. And and I also feel like this is where a lot of these sort of things miss the boat when it comes to dealing with that earned time, when they do time travel, is they kind of, a lot of these, these type of shows have a Pollyanna-ish view, uh, perception of that era, the way they portray it. This didn't do that. This showed you the ugly shit. This showed, because this is what was happening. And they weaved the story into that instead of trying to ignore it. And that, you know, and, and give us this version where you would see black people in spaces, you know, damn well they would not have been in, <laughs> you know, back then during that time and shit. Like, yeah. Like they and didn't here it was it. straight up, hey, black people weren't allowed in this area. Right, right. So right. Uh, have fun with that. Right. <laughs> We're showing them not being allowed in this area and right. what happens when people went to that area. Right. And we're making it a part of the lore as opposed to um, uh, surgically removing the ugliness um, that you and you think that serves the lore, but it doesn't. It actually makes it kind of silly because it's the equivalent of somebody doing a time travel show. They go they go back to, I don't know, the American Revolutionary War period and you see a car driving down the road like yo this yeah and then they ignore it like that like that was normal no that is not what was happening at that time 
that thing did not exist. So they needed to show apartheid the way it was in this country because that's the other thing, um, you know, they, they shy away from using that word, but that's exactly what the fuck it was. I defy someone to show me the difference between South African apartheid and apartheid here 55 years ago. Like, it's the same shit, right? But... Oh, yeah. You know, but... um. Yeah, man, overall, I think they did a great job with that. And I cannot wait. For, I know, And unfortunately, we're going to have to. But <laughs> I cannot yeah. wait for uh, season three. And what I hope they did is um, because these episodes went by fast, I hope and they just recorded. Like, they, they kept on going and knocked out those two seasons. And then we're just waiting a prerequisite time for everybody, for them to get their engagement with season two. And then, bam, they dropped season three. That's what I'm hoping. That's what I'm hoping. But well, I mean, if you're uh, looking for more content about it too, mm-hmm. Justin Min, the actor who plays Ben, has a whole bunch of stuff on his like Instagram and everything about really? behind the scenes stuff. He is honestly he's probably the biggest fan of the show <laughs> out there like a, one of the things that happened like on his like twitter and instagram and everything was the fact that he was basically being told by the guys you are not allowed to share this stuff you cannot do this yet do not share this yet and like and then like when they started showing trailers and everything they started letting him post a few things as well and like all you see everywhere, like if you look at his Instagram, you look at his Twitter, is just nonstop behind the scenes footage, photos, cast and crew, couple of videos of them all just joking around and everything else. Yeah, I'm gonna have so to, uh, if, have to... if you're looking for a little bit more, yeah, I think I'm gonna have to do it. I'm you're gonna have you. to check out Justin Min. I, I'm a because again, the actor who plays Ben right. is. Like probably the most into the show I've ever seen a person. <laughs> you know, he, ge- he the thing is he geeked out about it, and it's oh, cool. Absolutely, it's really cool when you see that happen. You know, it's really now. Cool. One thing I'm gonna have to do because mm-hmm. I haven't done this yet is I'm gonna actually have to go read the me too comics. That I said the based same thing. Of. I said the same thing. I said the same thing because because I, I need more. I need more. As a show, it is great. I have not read any of the comics. I have not read any anything else about it. Same. So I don't know how it compares as the show, right? Well, I, what I will say is there has been uh, situations with me where, um, like, take uh, Kick-Ass. I loved the Kick-Ass movies. I really couldn't get into the comics. So that could be one of these situations I won't know until I get to read it. Um, but, um, yeah, I'm hoping the comic book is every bit as, even if it's different, of course, and they change certain things, but I'm hoping it's every bit as engaging as the uh, the, the series on Netflix because I got to tell you, if it is, that's something else I'll be hooked on. And I'm wondering, is are they still printing new issues of it or did it run its its course? Um and all we yeah, have that, is... that one I'm not 100% on yet. Mm-hmm. Like I said, I'm, I just started this. I'm like, I should probably get around to starting to yeah. read this <laughs> stuff because yeah. the show's got me. Facts. 
Facts. I need to know. Like I said, worst case scenario is I just, I'm not really going to get into the comics. And it's like, okay, well, that's a shame. Yeah, exactly. But you know what might happen? What if... Might find the the comics better than the show. Yeah, but but what if in the comic, Luther isn't a loser? What what if in the comic, he's (laughs) actually a badass consistent with his power level and all of that, like... See, yeah, now I've got to read the book. I've got to. Yeah. I got to get it. But, um, yeah, we strongly recommend you go, if you have not um, done so yet, go check out the Umbrella Academy. If you if you need to, start with the first season. Because if, if you haven't watched any of it, you should, you should start. The first, first season, season is really important to understanding yeah. the second season. Yeah, it's not one of those ones it. you can sort of pick up wherever. Right. You have to do that. Um, and we promise, however slow the first few episodes are, it gets better. Like, that shit gets better. A lot better. It picks up the pacing and all that. Um, so go check that out. Um, so let's get into some of these news topics. All right. Um, I'll take the first one. All right. All right. Um, the Snyder Cut will debut Superman's black suit, which, you know, is kind of a big thing, I suppose. <laughs> um, I actually like that, so I wish he'd have stuck with it, but I knew he, he wouldn't um, because that's not the nature of the character to be that dark. Um, Zack Snyder's Justice League will feature the debut of Henry Cavill's Superman in a black suit. Thanks to a new clip revealed by Snyder himself, it was revealed the last son of Krypton was always supposed to have the fan favorite comics look in the movie. Filmmaker, the filmmaker championed the black suit throughout his entire time on the project. So once he left the movie due to a family tragedy, the studio moved toward the traditional blue and red suit fans know of. Uh, yeah, and it wasn't a good decision. At least the type of suit he had wasn't a good decision. It looked like a cosplay suit. Like, I could see the the muscle stuff sewn in. And I'm like, yo, Henry Cavall is diesel. You don't need to put the muscle part in there. He's a big dude that works out consistently. But Already. Know, yeah, already. Yeah. Like, I thought that was... I mean, that it's was like, imagine like, adding a muscle suit onto the rock. Yeah. <laughs> right, exactly. Exactly. Like, okay, he's admittedly not as ripped as the rock or anything. But, but he's point stands, a, yeah. it's like, it, it gets to the point where, like, yeah, that's kind of unnecessary when you're still trying to go for the just muscular look and not, like, the almost abomination of Hulk. <laughs> right. Right, I was I was appalled. I gotta say, I, I really was. I was glad that they they brightened the colors up, but I, 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 when I could see the muscle sewn into, I was like, dude, this is horrible. Y'all spent way too much money for this to look like this. Um, so it continues. In fact, as Snyder said in his Justice Con Spotlight Saturday afternoon, the studio refused to go forward with a black suit at the time because of that. Snyder and his team put putting together the Snyder Cut had to give the suit a CGI logo. Yeah, exactly, Snyder said in regards to the color correction. At the time, the studio said there was no chance because I was arguing for the black suit the entire time, and they were like, we don't think it's a good idea. Morons! It's in the comic book! 
when Doomsday killed him, he came back wearing a... All right, whatever. Um, the filmmaker added, I'd say, what do you mean? We would all, we would always about... Eventually, we were like... Well, see, I don't understand how... The editing is really bad. We would always about... Eventually, we were like, fine. <laughs> don't worry about it. We're good. We said we'll shoot the suit the way it, it, way it was. But we had done little adjustments to the suit that would make it a little easier to dial it and contrast it a little more because we had done some experiments in Photoshop, so we knew how to do it. We had done a bunch of private experiments to make sure we could switch it on the DL since, frankly, they just weren't into it. I thought from the beginning it was a great idea because it was the correct evolution for him when he rose from the dead. He'd have the black suit on. It just made sense. Now, for those of you who didn't read that story, The Death of Superman, uh, when he eventually returned, the black suit was to help him absorb as many uh, solar rays as he possibly could because when he came back from death, he wasn't at full power yet. That's what the purpose of the suit was. It wasn't just some stylistic change. Um, you know, I'm back in black. Like, no, that wasn't what it was. And the idea that the movie studio didn't know that is appalling to me but it also uh very revealing about certain things about how that franchise turned out so um in the same spotlight snyder revealed more details about his director's cut of justice league will be unveiled un unveiled next month at dc fandom he previously said his cut is very much about superman going on a major post-death journey I love the idea of Superman going on a journey with his character, Snyder began. Um, I love the idea of Superman having to reconcile his morality, reconcile his place on Earth, reconcile love affair with Lois, and how that affects the way he relates to humanity. And all those things, and all those things as we all do with the normal relationships we all have in our daily lives. So I think that when you see Superman grapple with those things, he becomes a lot more relatable. When I see Superman having to figure out what to do, I now can go like, wow, if I was Superman. Superman is such an abstract character in his powers and what he's able to do. Anytime you, you can bring him back down to Earth, he becomes a lot more relatable. And for that, he's more interesting, he added. A huge respect for his moral code. And I think his ultimate place as the top of the pyramid of the DC superhero world. In the end, he would achieve that pinnacle. So... About that, I have seen them attempt to do that with Superman a lot over the years, um, bring him down to Earth, because the assumption is that the average person wouldn't be able to um, relate to the character because of all how powerful he is. I gotta say, though, um, comic book fans are a bit more astute than that. They'll take the character as is. It's up to the writer to really be better at displaying things that, that do make him relatable without uh, pandering to the, to, the, to the audience by by doing shit like, we'll give him a job. Okay, dude, there's more to humanity than just the job you work. <laughs> Some shit like that, you know? True. <laughs> you know, it's more, it's more to it than that. Like, we, for, for, for me, and I've always thought this, I've always thought that Superman was wasted on Earth, period. Like, yeah, he should have spent some time there and all that. But after a certain point in time, he should have been out in the stars, man. His 
A lot of his he's shit. A cosmic be, hero. He's a cosmic hero, man. It's punching down. He's punching down nearly every fight, and 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 when they do create characters that can match him, um, um you know, they they pretty much make them one dimensional. With the exception, I think Lex Luthor is usually very well written, um, because he's usually a lot more fleshed out as far as his motivations than Superman is. Like we get it, Lex does not trust aliens. Period. He doesn't trust metas. He's very similar to Batman in that in that regard, and he feels that humanity um, should not be relying upon this uh, 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 entity from across the stars that he feels could never relate to them because humans have to deal with being mortal and fragile and stuff. What he fails to realize is that there are parts of Superman that are absolutely relatable, that he absolutely can relate to being alone, to being an immigrant, you know, that sort of shit. And when they when they focus in on that, I find those to be the best Superman stories for me. When they focus in on the government not trusting him. Because, like, yo, you're too powerful. Like, when they focus in on shit like that, I like those type of stories. But when they just give him a job and a girlfriend, and it's like, dude, so that's it. Give him the whole, the S stands for hope. Dude, I can't with that, man. It just doesn't, it doesn't do And look, for the record, when I was a kid, I love Superman because I was very, I wasn't nuanced in my uh, 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 comic book readings. Uh, superheroes were supposed to be all good, apple pie, whatever, and the bad guys were supposed to be all bad, blah, blah, blah. As I got older and saw that the world wasn't even like that, um, when I saw that the writers started putting more uh, real life nuance into the characters, I enjoyed the comics more. So when writers weren't doing that with Superman right away, he seemed old, lame, dusty, <laughs> you know, like a relic from a bygone era. And as a comic book fan, I certainly respected his place in comic books because he was the prototype, you know, hero. But I didn't respect the character, if anything, until real writers started doing things to, you know, flesh him out and his world around him. Two things I always felt like they should have done. They should have yeah. destroyed Metropolis. Flat out. He needed a new tragedy. I'm not buying the, oh, I miss my home world. You don't even remember your home world. <laughs> what the are you talking about? The only thing you know of your home world is video. <laughs> that, that's like saying, I've seen pictures of... I've seen pictures of, you know, Scotland. Right. I really miss being in Scotland. Like, I've never <laughs> been to Scotland. Right. Right. So it's like that they when they and when they did that in Man of Steel, I enjoyed it for that. The other thing I didn't like is how they attempted to shoehorn Superman into being an American. Superman is not an American. Superman is a freaking alien. His people are aliens. And I felt like Man of Steel got that part right when they gave us that whole first act of what was happening on his world. And they portrayed that world very alien. Like, none of that stuff was recognizable to me, you know? And I felt like this is what I needed. I, he needs to feel... Like, for me, um, Marvel did a much better job with Gladiator 
than DC did with Superman. Gladiator feels alien to me. That's an alien powerhouse, you know? Superman never did until fairly recently. He just just didn't. Uh, And it didn't help that he was raised in the Midwest, United States with Midwest values. That made him exceedingly less alien, (laughs) you know? Like, so basically, um, I feel like I'm hoping this Snyder cut can do something. If it focuses on on Superman's journey from death to, um, you know, coming back to life and getting himself uh, acclimated, that might be cool. I'm certainly going to still watch it, you know, because I'm I'm curious about it. But I don't know, man. I I have my doubts that this is going to be the fix for all of that. What do you think? I'm, I'm still a little skeptical because, again... As much as everyone's like, okay, well, the Joss Whedon cut ruined the whole image, ruined the whole movies. Look at how poorly received a lot of the other Snyder stuff was. Facts. It's like, now, I actually enjoyed BVS, Mm -hmm. except for the fact that they crammed way too much in there too quickly trying to play catch up. Right. But as a whole, the premise of that movie was very well done. Mm -hmm. I enjoyed it. (laughs) But they're trying to just sort of fit all of this stuff in one thing trying to do that like the fact that they're making the snyder cut like what five hours or something yeah, like that a tv series out of it to a degree yeah. it's, it's like the fact that you have and then look at the history of the dc movies recently anyway since the whole dceu Facts. the only way half these movies make sense is with the extended cuts if you need to basically grab the extended cut to make the movie make a more sense than what it did right you're not telling the story properly and that does fall at least partially on snyder who's directing these movies right i um i'm a big uh proponent of the um idea that venue matters I have watched certain movies in the movie theater and absolutely hated them. Those same movies will wind up on television and I'll watch it and enjoy it a lot better. I think venue matters. And I think Snyder is probably aware of that too. Uh, Hence the reason for serializing it. And on this platform, maybe he thinks that somehow in this venue... That it might, you know, people have a different perception of it, and I hope that's true. I hope, I hope, I hope it has that effect on me. I want it to be good. I want to enjoy it and watch some badass shit. But I don't know, man. Like, I'm, 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 I'm a bit doubtful right now. I can't even lie. Bit doubtful. It's one of those things. Like again, Marvel gets the benefit of the doubt because they've earned it. Facts. DC has not done that yet. Facts. So until they do. Like I said, yet is the key word. Right, because they can turn it around. It. Yeah, they can turn it around. You know, but as it stands, they have not. You know, what's a, a uh, maybe a great plan for um for DC um, going forward with their movies. Just just let Marvel Studios make it. <laughs> just <laughs> your ass. <laughs> your ass. <laughs> I'm just, I'm just making a suggestion out there, purely my unsolicited uh, suggestion. Right, just let Marvel Studios make your movies. 
That's all. That's all. Well, anyway, what do we got next? Stuff is Avengers issue 34 has Moon Knight taking a larger role in shaping the Marvel Universe. Oh, shit. I know this is something you're looking forward to for real. Oh, yeah. I, I've actually fully read this issue already. Wow. Because I've definitely been keeping up on the Avengers because I actually do really enjoy the current run. But also, the minute they announced from, like, issue 33 on for the next bit, it's called The Age of Khonshu, and it's all based around Moon Knight. I've definitely been uh, more into it than before. Right, you have. But it starts off, The Marvel Comics universe has been put through the proverbial ringer more times than fans can count. The earth-shattering events happening at an almost an alarming rate. In addition to some standalone events, the main continuity of Earth-616 has been affected pretty profoundly in recent books. And it looks like the pages of Avengers are no exception. Lately, the book has been following the adventures of Mark Spector, a.k.a. Moon Knight, as he unintentionally gets pulled into a major conflict involving the other Avengers. The series' most recent issue saw that take some devastating and unexpected turns with part of the Marvel Universe being changed for the time being. Uh The issue followed Moon Knight reuniting with Khonshu, the Egyptian god who provides him with his powers, after bringing him an offering of the other Avengers' powers. In 33, you saw him... uh, take Mjolnir from Thor. Yeah. You saw him take the Eye of Agamotto from Doctor Strange. Mm-hmm. You saw him take the Hell Charger from Ghost Rider. You saw him take the Iron Fist from Iron Fist. Mm-hmm. So, like, you saw a lot of stuff where he's, like, straight up taking their powers. Right. And then you saw Black Panther just surrender, realizing, like, if even he just though, did all of that. <laughs> he, he, even though Moon Knight couldn't take the powers like he wanted to. Right from Black Panther, if he actually tried to stop and fight him, Wakanda would have gotten devastated. Exactly. So he just surrendered and just sort of went as a prisoner. Right. So, you start seeing this, like, after bringing him an offering of the other Avengers' powers, Moon Knight and Conchu traveled to Mephisto's prison to the hotel, in the Hotel Inferno in Las Vegas. I've been catching up with that where, too, Damnation, um, recently. Where Moon Knight proceeded to kill him for orchestrating his recent dark deeds. <laughs> It's been an overshadowing thing in a lot of, not just only the recent Avengers, but if you read uh, Champions, if you read a lot of any of the Ghost Rider stuff, mm-hmm. uh, Mephisto has actually been behind a lot of the devastation in the last couple years of the Marvel Universe. No, And no one should be surprised at that. Nobody. If you know Mephisto, nobody should be surprised at that. Nobody. Oh, yeah. But he's sitting there... Th- like manipulating everything mm-hmm. he's manip- he's the reason why the avengers have been basically forsaken by the u.s government right he's right. the reason the avengers have gotten into fights with atlantis mm-hmm. he's the reason atlantis has been in fights with russia he's in the reason why russia has been in fights with avengers right obviously russia has sickle and their hero team and everything else right it's like he's been manipulating all of this stuff. He's also there's also like a revolution in hell because since he got in prison, Johnny Blaze has been king of hell. 
and then one of Johnny Blaze's enemies, who also coincidentally just happens to be one of Mephisto's enemies, is also trying to stage a coup of sorts. Right, right. It's a whole goddamn mess. Because you're talking planning and everything else that's taken place over millennia. Because it's Mephisto. Yeah. He doesn't really need to uh, abide by concepts like time. Yeah, he plays the long game. He plays the long (laughs) game for real. He definitely does. So, Conchu remarked to Moon Knight that the battle was far from over, and Moon Knight wondered what more could be asked from him. Conchu responded by saying that he would take care of it himself Mm. before grabbing Thor's hammer, Mjolnir. Mm. So, uh, Khonshu himself is currently using Mjolnir. This is insane. The issue jumped ahead two weeks in time to New Thebes City, which was previously referred to as Manhattan, New York. The city was clearly a mashup of contemporary architecture of New York with a new modern Egyptian flair. So you're seeing like these almost tech pyramids everywhere. Love it. You got these flying boats that are like similar to the boats you would see in Assassin's Creed Origins like the not quite long boat right. but similar to that with the sails yeah it's very similar to the boats that the Asgardians use uh, to fly through space yeah. with very similar to that yeah also that complete with a horde of zombies able to apprehend superheroes or are too blind <laughs> showing Conchu's crusade man bunch of zombie mummies <laughs> because of course there are of course as moon knight remarks Kanchu was able to help reshape the world in a matter of days yeah, with the powers he's acquired from the avengers all with the goal of fortifying earth against a common enemy mephisto yeah uh, and if you look in the night sky, too, in one of the panels, it starts showing a bunch of the other moons. Because in the process of beating the ever-living crap out of Thor, mm-hmm. they ended up bringing a bunch of other moons there, which helped boost Moon Knight's powers. Power. Which is, mm-hmm. which was a common thing a long time ago right. that he received his powers based on the cycle of the moon and everything else. They removed that. It, it was never technically removed, but they hadn't actively used that in the 90s. Right. There was a brief mention of it in the mid-2000s where it's like, oh, remember, I used to give you your powers based on the moon. I can do that again if you just behave. But they never actually did it. And then this is the first time he's used the – had that power again. Right. Since the 90s. So – the fact that they brought it back and they've made it stronger by implementing there's in this picture there's six or seven moons mm-hmm. in the sky it's it's a big deal it's a very big deal it was like this change in manhattan's whole structure is absolutely surprising and definitely sets up a lot of work that the remaining members of the avengers need to fi- do to fix it Moon Knight's semi-reluctant role in the proceeding also makes things interesting, even as he is becoming more powerful than ever. Uh, yes, I do have plans for Moon Knight. Avengers writer Jason Aaron teased the comic book back in 2019. It's a question of when am I going to slap that in? That's one of those 
first arcs after War of the Realms, I have a really big Moon Knight story. Hmm. I really want to do. It's just a matter of when we get to do it. So apparently, this he's had this planned for a couple years at this point. Right. Then. It's like, I like putting a pin in things and showing that this is literally where we're going. Mm-hmm. It might take a while to get there, but I'm not planning on going anywhere for a while, so we'll get to all of them. Man, listen. Every so often, a hero or character, it doesn't necessarily have to be a hero, um, they get a power grab. They go for a power grab. And... It changes the landscape for a long time after that. You know, this is Moon Knight's time. This is the time. That's why I remember in our um, Reaper Life combo group, when you first shared those um, picks, I was like, no one can be upset with anything that's happening right now for Moon Knight. Because look how long they kept him kind of... put in the work. Yeah, he's like... put in the work. Yeah, like, no... If you are a comic book fan, even if you're not a fan specifically of Moon Knight, you don't know much about him. If I'd like to think that if you're a Marvel Universe fan, you know what his place has been in there, at least if you have never even read any of his books, you kind of know what his place was there. He was on the back burner. He was not considered uh, top tier, none of this stuff. So now that he's getting this shine right now and, and, and is capable of doing, of taking all of the big fan favorites and twisting them in the knots and taking their shit. No one should be really, I don't feel, mad at any of that right now. Because you know this is what always happens. And we've seen this. We saw it with Cap. You know, we saw it with Thor. We saw this with a lot of these different characters. Iron Man. They Hulk. get the Hulk. They all get that, man. They all get that one moment where they just exceed like Hulk's kind of having one of those moments himself simultaneously now right now, right, right in, in the Immortal Hulk series. Exactly, exactly. And it's so funny that um, because usually um, what I've noticed that they'll do is they'll one character at a time will be getting this 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 makeover power boost, right? But instead, they decided to do two, and I don't see them making them interact. Like, uh, has Moon Knight interacted with the Hulk yet? The Immortal Hulk? Not that I'm aware of, See, no. That's what I figured. And I, and I don't think they're going to let that happen. Um, because it, it, it prematurely it, it, answers questions. I, I think it might happen. And that's because if you, like, with Mephisto being the main premise of Moon Knight doing what he's doing right now. Right. And if you've read The Immortal Hulk... Mephisto's having a bit of a role in what's going on currently in the Immortal Hulk as well. Right, right, right. So there is actually a chance that they could interact in some way, and it would actually make sense. But it would almost make sense as a it's a common enemy. Hulk being Hulk, it's like you can't tell me what to do. Right. But, but. I'm going to help you because <laughs> doing this yeah. is something that I need to do as well. Facts. Facts. And, like, if you do that, it just makes me doing this easier. Right. So, yeah, for right. sure, I can see them interacting based on, again, the whole Mephisto fucking everyone over. 
which he had. And I could see a few of the other Avengers ultimately joining in before. I mean, yeah, they give their going, powers that's back going and everything to else. But, that's going to happen eventually. But but before that point, I could still see Immortal Hulk being involved with Moon Knight before that point. Well, let me ask you this: Do you think there is a possibility that they go with the old trope of? When they initially engage each other. Oh, they're going to beat the shit out of yeah. each other. For sure. <laughs> for yeah. sure. They're just going to start smacking each other around. And it's going to have to happen at night because that's the Immortal Hulk's time. Facts. It's the Devil's time. Facts. But at night also will be Moon Knight's kind oh, that's of gonna be well. That's going to be ugly. That's going to be ugly. That's going to be ugly. For the, if they give it two pages, that's going to be two pages of the ugliest <laughs> you've seen in comics in a while. Like, it's going to be ugly, man. It's going to be ugly. Uh, their power levels being what they are. Um, I see. I, I was of the mindset at first that maybe they wouldn't because they didn't want to answer some questions uh, right now because they don't want to shit on... Um, Hulk's power boost. They don't want to uh, shit on Moon Knight's power boost by having them have to pick who would win. But they don't really have to do any of that. They literally can fight to a stalemate and then come to an agreement. You know, they don't have to do any of that shit. Um, it's just crazy how Especially all Especially given that Mephisto's kind of behind a lot of the stuff going on. Right, right. In... Like, Mephisto's playing a bit of a role. Like, it, again, it's heavily rocks on because who else is going to be behind that right, kind of shit? Right. For a Hulk comic, rocks on is one of the traditional bad company. Yeah. It, um, for a while, he was one of Thor's. Uh, rock song was one of Thor's. Uh, yeah. Opposition. Cheering well. the uh, Jane Foster. Mm hmm. Mm hmm. Mm-hmm. I mean, and and they had a big part of the War of the Realms and all that stuff. Oh yeah, as well. yeah, absolutely, so. absolutely. I mean, I don't know. Like, I'm still not quite caught up. By the way, uh, anyone listening to this um, podcast, you might be hearing some excess noise. That's just me fixing my mic. <laughs> Ignore that. <laughs> um, <laughs> but um, yeah, man, I'm I'm actually planning on getting caught up with all of this because I really haven't had the time. Um, and the only reason I jumped into Damnation was because uh, Comics Explained did a video recently talking about uh, Mephisto. So it made me curious as to the whole thing that was going on. I know he was being held uh, house arrest or whatever, but I didn't really read a lot of the backstory to that. Yeah. Um, so yeah, I definitely need to catch up with this because I got I to gotta be a part of uh, my man Moon Knight uh, getting this power grab, <laughs> like, got, I got, I gotta be a part of that. Um, so the next story is, uh, externals are being brought back for the X-Men X of Swords series. Um, now, uh, Saga and I actually had a conversation about this before, but I completely thought that this said Eternals. Not externals. I completely omitted that X because my mind is on what the MCU's about to do next. So, um this Oh is... man, how do you how do you forget about X? X gonna <laughs> give it to you. <laughs> That's a good point. That is a <laughs> very good point. Um but so it says um 
Marvel has confirmed the return of the externals to the X-Men books for X of Swords with this teaser for Excalibur 11. Didn't we say Excalibur was the book to watch? In June, Bleeding Cool suggested that the externals were returning to Marvel after being abandoned in the 90s. <laughs> really, they really were. First named in X-Force 10 from Fabian. Let's see if I can not butcher his name. Uh, Nasiza. I don't know. I'm pretty sure I butchered that. Rob Leefield, who, uh, let's just say, I don't really appreciate his artwork a lot of the times. He has a very distinct <laughs> artwork. And, and boy, <laughs> it is 90s. <laughs> yo, and, yo, and emphasis on the word stink. Um, and Mark Parcella, the externals are all mutants with the additional gift of immortality. And as expressed by Cable, they play an important role in the future and Apocalypse's rise to power. Externals typically cannot die, but seem to possess an immortal healing factor rather than invulnerability. They suffer injuries just like any other person, and can even appear dead if mortally wounded, but, uh, but will eventually restore themselves to life and health. Each external was claimed to represent an intangible concept. You can only kill an external, again, by running a blade through their heart. Ten swords, ten hearts. Ten arcane energies to be absorbed. But could this also be a way in which they resurrect Kate Pride? Could she also be an external rather than cannonball? Could that explain why the Krakoan portals and rejuvenation rejected her? She's always been a sucker for a sword as well. Here's the current list of exter... Sorry, High Lords. Um, am I pronouncing this right? Absalom. Absalom. Absalom, which is, uh, I guess, the concept of despair. Burke, Fortitude. Kandra, Guile. Cruel, Ferocity. Gideon, Opportunity. I watched them kill Gideon back in the 90s. Yeah. Uh, yeah, so that's crazy that he's back. Nicodemus. He killed a lot of these guys yeah. more recently than that, too. Yeah, I mean, it's kind of crazy, right? They're kind of immortal and they just sort of restore themselves, so. Ah, uh, just takes a little time. Um,. Nicodemus, Wisdom, Saul, Patience, Selene, Corruption. Selene's one of my favorites. Cannibal, Hope, he's Superman. That's right. Cannibal is Superman. <laughs> However, Selene, and more recently, Cable, had stated that Cannonball is not an external, which is pretty big news because all during the 90s, that's what they were saying he was. Apocalypse, Evolution or Destruction, taken away by the Celestials, his status as an external is still unclear, but Powers of X number three named him as such in the back matter. That's interesting. Um, out of all of these uh, different Celestials, I, I mean, uh, externals, I would say that to me, Selene and Apocalypse are probably the more powerful ones. Oh, yeah. Apocalypse you know? is... No matter what, Apocalypse is always going to be one of the most powerful guys in the room. Facts. Facts. And Selene is just... It's the fact that she's almost, like, vampiric as mm -hmm. well, right? Like, mm -hmm. just being around, she can just sort of drain your life force and gain your energy and strength herself. Right. right. She's, she's... Which kind of makes her significantly stronger than she would be baseline, but, right. like... Right. I believe she's also a telepath, like that's basically on par with Jean Grey that's and all of them. So that's, that's insane. That's an insane amount of power. Insane amount of power. Now, 
I got to be honest, I have not kept up with... There are so many different titles going on with the X-Men now that, yeah. you know, I'm glad you put in the in the Reaper Life um, uh, group, like the listing. In and I have to order. upgrade a couple of that as well. Oh, yeah, pretty sure, because they didn't release more issues since you put that up there. But I think you did update it one time. Um, oh, I've updated it a few times. Yeah, I just, yeah. I have to definitely update a fair bit of that, and it, at this point, there's like so many issues that it's no longer an issue by issue thing. Right. Can, right. On the upside, though, when you read a lot of these series, mm-hmm. the last bit it actually tells you, like on, on almost like the last page or last couple pages, it sort of tells you what the order is that it's supposed to be read in. Ah, I see. Said which is making it a lot easier to sort of keep track of that part. Right. Right. Makes sense. Makes a lot of sense. Uh, hold on for a second. Let me do something. Siobhan, mm-hmm. so there are dishes in that sink over there that um, Yetta needs done. It's not a lot, but she's doing some production today. Make sure you take care of that before she comes to home. Thank you. All right, cool. All right, I'm back. Um, Yeah, so... Like I said, um, I am behind a lot, but I'm kind of interested in this because I didn't think we would see the uh, externals again, to be honest. I thought that was just something they left in the 90s, and they had so many other things they were working with right now that they wasn't going to revisit them. But again, this is... Yeah, you're you're right with that, Mm -hmm. except the fact that they have one person in charge of all the X family series, it allows them to actually do storytelling involving characters that are lesser known because it's no longer this team maybe doing one thing with a character and then a second team doing something else that's supposed to take place at the same time involving the same characters. Right. Right. That's not a thing right now. It's all one team behind everything right or at least one guy involved with this all so he can sort of be like no you can't use wolverine here because wolverine's currently doing this with these guys right you need to find someone else right and i think the fact that they actually have one person in charge of that allows them to bring back characters like externals and do an arc that involves them shows the extent of their power, explores what they can do without making it overshadow everything. Right. Or have like, okay, well, they're doing this. Now we need to have them in this series, this series, and this series that are all supposed to be at the same time. They can sort of just ignore all that now and be like, if it's only really touched on in these two or three series, you're good. Mm Mm-hmm. Makes sense. Makes sense. And also, um, the one thing the one thing that always comes to mind when I see, especially in the X because a lot of times the X stories are kind of sequestered in their own little bubble right here. And yeah, they do, of course, interact with the rest of the Marvel Universe from time to time, but if you just dive into the X-Men lore, there are some truly powerful like beings that float around there. And I always wonder two things one earth is 
a powerhouse for real. It may be technologically inferior to a lot of these older um, empires in the, in the universe, like the Shi'ar and, and, and the Kree and all that. But there is enough raw power just on one planet where they could run through a lot of these other uh, empires. And it makes you wonder, like, is there any wonder? Why do, you, why do they keep going to Earth? I would never come to Earth. I would literally, I'm not going to invade. I'm not going to do shit. I'm not coming on a planet that has Apocalypse, the Externals, X-Men, the Avengers. I'm not coming. I'm not coming to Earth. There's no reason for me to come to Earth. Same planet that that bred um, uh, uh, characters like Proteus. And I'm not coming. I'm not coming there. There is an inordinate amount of reality warpers on one world. <laughs> it's not. I'm not doing yeah. it. Yeah, and you're not even just looking at guys like Proteus too. You're looking at like Molecule Man. Oh, jeez. He's the from guy Earth. who just remakes the universe casually. <laughs> right. I'm bored. Let's see what I can do. It just it just it, it boggles the mind that anybody would come to Earth thinking of taking over or do, what? I'm not doing it. Doctor Doom is there. Like I'm not going. I would I would not go to Earth at all. You know how arrogant these guys have casually kicked Galactus's ass so many <laughs> right, times. Right. These, these guys have. It wasn't as casually, but just beating the crap out of Thanos yes. on a couple yes. occasions. Yes. You know what? Nah. I, I, I'm gonna try and invade these guys again for some <laughs> reason. I just could, I can't. I wouldn't. I wouldn't. I wouldn't do it. I wouldn't do it. And and also, you know, uh, at times Apocalypse has been referred to as the Celestial's gardener. Now, here's the thing: everybody of a sufficient um, um, level of advancement and knowledge in the Marvel universe knows who the Celestials are. They know of their existence, even if they don't know some of the other things about them. I have yet to hear of any other planet that had a celestial gardener. I'm not coming here. <laughs> like, I'm not coming here. This is not happening. Yeah, sure. A lot of these other planets have gods. We've seen uh, 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 different pantheons of different worlds, alien pantheons. We know that they exist by the thousands, right? We know that. But this is not the same thing because the Celestials came to Earth and made all of the Allfathers bend the knee, <laughs> right? So this, is, this isn't the same thing as having to deal with, you know, uh, uh, rogue deities uh, showing their ass every now and then. No, these are Celestials and they left a gardener on Earth for a reason. I'm not coming there. And not only that, but like, like you said, they made them all the Pantheons bow down to them yeah. accept their superiority yeah they basically say anyone who is a celestial or an agent of a celestial gets a free pass from <laughs> anything they do yeah so all of a sudden like it's why there was that huge arc that led to the apocalypse twins right and everything else right in like in almost what resulted in generating an alternate universe yes when thor killed apocalypse right and it's like he did it once using some incredibly dark magic mm -hmm. like he had to use some dark magic that even odin doesn't touch right in order to do it but he did it 
and killed him, and it generated an entire alternate universe, <laughs> which was significantly worse off. Yes. Than <laughs> yes. yes, it was. Yes, it was. And I just, you know, I would not, first of all, I would never undersell Earthlings. I mean, after years of seeing this sort of shit, Reed Richards comes from Earth. So it's like, dude, <laughs> not going there, messing with these people. Not doing it. Just not doing it. I think it's I think it's completely uh, uh, short-sighted. <laughs> you know how arrogant you must be? As a matter of fact, to be quite honest with you, um, there are the, I know these other planets have, have, have people with, with superpowers. Some have precognition. Y'all couldn't. Y'all couldn't have told at some point that, yo, this planet's going to be a problem. We might want to, like, get rid of them before they get to that point. Because uh, uh, that's what I would have been thinking. If I'd have had any sort of uh, uh, soothsayers, if I was an alien world with soothsayers at my command, and, and they, we saw one little thing with them. For instance, the first time they turned back Galactus, that would have been, um, been a red flag for me. That would have been a red flag. Like, wait, what? They did yeah. what? No, 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 no. We need to keep an eye on these people and if necessary, wipe them out. They're about to be a problem. They're about to start some shit. Because that's not a small... That wasn't a small feedback then. Yes, they've nerfed the hell out of Galactus over the years, made him job the people who I feel like he shouldn't have job to. But at the same time, once that happened, though, that would have been a red flag. Like, every place else Galactus is going at... He's Arizona, still the eater of planets. He's the eater... Yo, every place else he's gone at, he's eating their world. So now I'm sitting there looking. <laughs> what's different about this little blue-green mud ball right here? Like, what, what's the difference? Like, nah, there's something going on over there. Something with that planet. Yeah. Yeah. It's 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 kind of crazy. It's kind of crazy. So what's the next story? Uh, the next up was a bit of uh, controversy and infighting between Tom King and mm-hmm. artist Jay Lee. Involving Jay Lee freelancing for one of the front runners and leadership, so to speak, mm-hmm. of the Comics Gate community. Hmm. For those who don't know what the Comics Gate community is, Comics Gate was is a group of these people, and there's a couple of artists and writers and everything, right? Who tend to espouse some pretty racist and sexist views Ah. and actively go out of their way to hate on anything that gives diversity or a strong leading role for people who are women or minorities. Right, right. And Jacobs, basically. Yeah. So the article starts off with update six hours after publicly expressing his disapproval with DC for hiring Jay Lee to draw a variant for his upcoming Rorschach series. Given the artist has drawn covers or uh, a cover or covers for comics gate associated projects. Writer Tom King has an update. It was a misunderstanding. Apparently. Really? It's like, I spoke with Jay. He's not on Twitter. Didn't know comics gate existed and doesn't support hate of any kind. That's good. The problem is, is like this isn't a small thing. Like this, Comics Gate hit mainstream news. Yes, it did. This has been around for six years or at so least, now. At least, 
yeah. five or six years now. Mm-hmm. So I find it hard to fully believe that the guy had no idea what this they were existed. going on about. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. It's one of those things where it's like, hey, this guy's kind of outspoken on these subjects no matter what you do, even if it's not necessarily associated with Comicsgate itself. Right. Is going to have comparisons drawn because of this. Right. You so, know, original story. It's um, DC right. Oh yeah. It's uh, I don't know, this is one of these things where I feel like uh people feel entitled to characters that they didn't invent or write, ever write for. You're a regular schmo that are, that's reading the books. Like, why do you feel entitled <laughs> to yeah. direction? Uh, it's just, it's crazy, man. It's crazy. But continue. Yeah, original story. DC writer Tom King has spoken out against the publisher's decision to hire Jay Lee to draw a variant cover to an upcoming title of King's due to the artist's previous involvement with a Comicsgate-associated project. Today, DC put out an alternate cover to Rorschach by Jay Lee, who has also done covers for Comicsgate, a hate group, King tweeted Friday. DC does not consult creators on alternate covers. Hmm. I reached out to them to express my disappointment. As far as I'm concerned, this is the cover to Rorschach one, and he showed the original cover. Wow. King included the cover originally solicited with Rorschach number one by series artist George Fornes. While DC first released the Lee cover Friday, July 24th, the official number one copy with Lee listed as a variant cover was released Friday, July 17th. Hmm. Comicsgate is a movement involving several comic creators and fans who have spoken out against what they feel is diversity and social reform in the modern comic book industry. The movement has developed its own community with former DC exclusive creator Ethan Van Skyver being one of its loudest voices. Crazy. That's crazy. And then it's like the comics gate cover work King appears to be referring to as Lee's variant for Van Skyver's self-published one-shot Cyberfrog Wrecked Planet revealed earlier this year. Van Skyver de- debuted the cover in a tweet that included a Comics gate hashtag. Um, I don't know. I, I really. What this is what I don't like. Because the fact that a, a, a group like this has actual uh, uh, people that have worked in the industry uh, as a part of it, you know what I'm saying. It, it leads guys who are fairly well respected. Fairly in well respected, and 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 what it does is it leads, it lends credibility to people who shouldn't have it, and it's like the idea that they're upset over something that has been happening in comic books for come on, man, is absurd, and you would think that somebody that worked in the industry would be fairly schooled. You know what I'm saying? On the history of the industry, um, the the motivations and intentions of of the writers of certain stories, you would know, like, dude, like, literally, uh, Superman was written as an allegory. Yeah, for immigration. You know what I'm saying? So it's like... X-Men. Come on. 
is <laughs> literally a parallel to the American civil rights movement. Yeah, yeah, right. I mean, it's like, y'all should know this. Y'all really should know this type of shit. So I'm, I'm and, and the, mind you, none of this is hidden history. It's documented. The writers have literally come out and said what their purpose was, their intentions, and what ideas they were trying to convey. So it's it's not ignorance of this history that's informing their bullshit. It's not that. It's it's every other negative connotation you can think of for why somebody would be this recalcitrant about this sort of thing in comic books. It's, 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 it's anything you can imagine is negative. That's what it is. You're a bunch of fucking bigots. That's what it is. And you feel like that this domain is exclusive to white characters um, being a certain type of way and black characters, they can be there, but they have to be a supporting role. Latin characters can be there, but they have to be a supporting role. Gay characters, that's unheard of. Women characters saving the universe? Pish posh. Like, I'm gonna need y'all to grow the fuck up, for real, like. Like, I, I still remember when early on, the crew working on Black Panther, which was at the time a fairly white group of people, yeah, got in trouble for not including enough white characters in the comic. <laughs> now, this is a guy based out of an African guy, based out of Africa, living in Africa, whose enemies are African. And they got in trouble for not including enough white people. So what did the guys do? Chose to like, okay, you want more white people in the comic? We'll do a story arc just for you. And it was literally Black Panther going around the American South... Yeah. Beating the crap out of members <laughs> of the game. <laughs> that was that go. was their solution to being told you need more white people in the comic. There was, you okay, go. we're gonna have a black guy beat the crap out of racist white guys. Right. There you go. Satisfied now? Dude, I, I you know, it's 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 one of these And things, a- after that arc, they kinda told them like, Yeah, you can just do whatever you want whatever, for your storyline. Yeah. Apparently that wasn't what they were expecting. Right. Right. It's 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 crazy to me because like I said, man, if you wanna come at them about that, what about all the comic books previously that did not have any people of color or did not have representation of gay people in it? Um, had women in very subservient or damsel in distress roles. Like, what about all of those that you said nothing about and you was cool with? This is my issue. Like, they don't keep the same energy. Like, if they really felt like, oh, you know, we shouldn't be forcing diversity into a title, then no one would have said anything about Black Panther not having a lot of white people in it. You wouldn't have have cared, but the fact of the matter is they do care. They just, they, they, they operate in bad faith. They're not consistent with what they believe. They're extremely ad hoc about what they believe. So it's like, you, you can't take, even if they had any valid criticisms, it's hard to take any of those seriously when you know the person is operating on bad faith. So, I don't know, man. Like, I just think these people need to grow the fuck up. Like, do your comic, yeah. dude. Do your if you don't like if you don't like none of that stuff, make your own goddamn comic. All right, do that. Yeah, like in this case, the guy did, but it's like, yeah. yeah. At the same time, 
you can't fully fault Tom King for being disappointed in Jay Lee. Not at all. Again, the guy has been fairly active in this group. Right. And in the community, he's been very, very active, very vocal in it. And it's one of those things where it's like at this point, anything he's associated with is going to be even if it's not his independent stuff, if he right. does something with DC or something with Marvel right. or Image or Boom or whatever, right. it's always going to have the taint of being associated with Comicsgate. And this and that and, and that. that's one of those things where anyone else who does something with him, they get is going to take too. on that. Stink. That's right. That's right. It's like you're you're working with him. What does that say? Say about you and what you believe and all. Yeah, I mean it's it's a. It's a mess. It really and is. It's like a mess. okay, the guy actively doesn't have, like Jay Lee actively doesn't have Twitter. I I think his Instagram is basically run by his wife and things like that. Mm-hmm. So he actually might not be aware realize the extent, right? But there's no way he's completely unaware of comics, yeah. given the fact that it's such a major industry. And see that that's the key word. Thing. It's an industry, it's an industry thing. Topic. Yeah, yeah. He would know if you don't know it, anything else. You would know about what's happening in the industry. Yeah, it's like every every video game developer, no matter where they are in the world, Facts. knows about GamerGate. Facts. Facts. It's so it's like okay, yeah. You you would have no you would have had to have known about it. Yeah, it's a fact. Unless you've been completely under a rock, not doing anything in the industry until they call you for a job yeah until they call you for a job before this happened yeah i agree so you're like you would have had to have if he had nothing in the industry put out in the last seven to ten years Mm -hmm. i'd almost say like okay yeah but he has he's been actively working this whole time so there's no way he couldn't have been aware of their politics um he had to know he had to know even if he didn't agree with it he had to know. He had to have known. Yeah. yeah. He had. And that's ultimately my my thing on that one is like there's no way he didn't know a bit about it. Yeah. 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 Like I said, he doesn't have to agree with it, but the fact that you got your, you associated, you associated with, with it, right? <laughs> right. You get painted in the same light. You're gonna get the splashback, especially if you don't have social media to um to say your piece. Like people, people use shorthand on social media all the time. So this is another case of shorthand. Like, oh, you rock with them? Cool. Um, yeah, it's a sad situation. But shout out to uh, Tom King for uh, stepping up though. And like, man, I don't want nothing to do with that. <laughs> like, like I, I give him, I give him a lot of respect for that. Um, yeah. The next story is uh, Daredevil actor Peter Shinkoda Nobu makes claim that Marvel Television head Jeff Lowe cut a story arc about his character's relationship with Madame Guile because nobody, quote-unquote, nobody cares about Asian characters. This is, this is crazy, right? So, uh, it says here, um, the Canadian actor is known for, well, I'll skip, I'll skip the line. 
Daredevil actor Peter Shinkoda has claimed his storyline was cut from the Netflix series after an executive at Marvel said nobody cares about Asian actors. The Canadian actor is known for appearing in The Predator, um, iRobot, and Godzilla, as well as for his role as Nobu uh, Yasho, 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 I can't, I'm butchering it. Um, <laughs> Yashiru Ka, is that how you pronounce that? In Daredevil. Close enough. Uh, which began airing in 2015 and was canceled in 2018 after three seasons. Shinkoda appeared in nine episodes of the Marvel series between 2015 and 2016, during which time his character played part in a supervillain organization known as The Hand and helped fellow villain Madame Gao, played by uh, Wa Ching Ho. Shinkoda opened up about his character during a recent Hashtag Save Daredevil Roundtable discussion, where he appeared with other actors from the show. Though Nobu appeared in a number of episodes, Shinkoda pointed out the backstory of his character was never elaborated upon, and neither was that of Madame Gao. The actor said a story regarding Nobu's relationship with Madame Gao had been created for his character, but alleged it was dropped on orders from former Marvel television head Jep Loeb. Uh, BBC News reports. Commenting on the matter, he said, I'm kind of reluctant to say this, but I'm going to take this moment. Jeff Loeb told the writer's room not to write for Nobu and Gao, and this was reiterated many times by many of the writers and showrunners that nobody cares about Chinese people and Asian people. Shinkoda said the Daredevil writers regret dropping his backstory and said they were reluctant to do it because they were stoked about including that in the storyline, but the executive's feelings meant they were prevented from elaborating on Nobu's character. The actor added, I had to concoct this other storyline and rock that material I was given, right? right? Shinkoda alleged that Loeb had cited Marvel's Blade trilogy as evidence for his claim that nobody cares about Chinese and Asian people as Blade features the vampire hunter who kills hundreds of Asian characters with, who have no backstory. That is absurd. Uh, Shinkoda said, also said neither he nor Wa Chang-ho were invited to the season two premiere of Daredevil, despite the fact they were still part of the series. The actor went on to say his character storyline may have been told differently if the show had been written in 2020 rather than in 2015, explaining... I think it would have been, I think it would be approached a, a hell of a lot more delicately because I can see the difference. Two, three, four years difference. Huge. Loeb does not appear to have publicly commented on Shinkoda's claims at the time of writing, which was July 27th. Um, that is a stunning, um, dude, absolutely stunning. First of all, his re... His reasoning is ridiculous. The fact that Blade, a vampire hunter who kills hundreds of Asian characters who have no backstory, means that nobody cares. You could say the same thing for numerous action films out there that had the uh, uh, anonymous thug, you know, the anonymous thug who uh, no one knew their backstory, uh, the, the villain has a bunch of henchmen that get killed by the hero or beat down by the hero and nobody even cares about them. 
That doesn't mean to say that nobody cares about white characters or black characters. That shit is absurd. No, Nobu is a major character. Right. It, it's, it's, man, man. I, I, and from coming from Jeff Loeb, you know, it makes me wonder what were the actual reasons he's no longer ahead of that. You know what I'm saying? Like, yeah, it really makes me like, saying some shit like that, like and having the ball. Listen, even in 2015, having the balls to say something like that. Um, jeez, man, it, 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 that yeah. that is that is a slimy. Oh man, and here's the thing about it: this is when you know you don't actually make these things. You're not making these things for the fans because as a fan, I would have liked to see that. I would oh, like to see sure. that. You know? Oh, man. It's like, again, Madam Gao being such a major part of not just Daredevil, but she was in, involved in the Iron Fist series right. and the Defenders series. Right. And then Nobu was basically her right hand. Right. It would have been you could have almost dedicated an episode of Daredevil facts to just how those two came to be currently facts and it would have added a lot more depth uh to the relationship you could have even you could have even had like almost like background of like the earlier fights between Stick and them right it's so much they could have did with that man that would have been interesting provocative and we wouldn't be here like, 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 we really, we wouldn't be here now with having to find out how much of a shithead Jeff Loeb is. Yeah. Oh, man. I swear. I swear, man. Huh, so, uh, that's disappointing. Oh. What's the next story? That's the, the next article's a bit of a better, higher note, I right. should say. Red Hood shows why Jason Todd should be Batman's true successor. Hmm. Not on Teen Titans. I've been watching Teen Titans. <laughs> Jason <laughs> Todd is not... No, not that version. <laughs> no. Fair. <laughs> no, it's like Red Hood and the Outlaws confirms that Jason Todd has what it takes to follow in Bruce Wayne's footsteps as Batman, even if he wasn't ready before now. Hmm. Interesting. The argument over who should take over the Batman mantle if Bruce Wayne ever truly gives it up has divided fans for years. Several of Batman's most prominent protégés have stepped up to fill in for the cape and cowl over the years. We've seen the violent Azrael claim it in the past. We saw Dick Grayson wear it for a few years. Mm -hmm. Damien even took on the duties in a hellish future. Batman Beyond has Terry McGinnis as its Dark Knight. Probably my favorite. However, Red Hood and the Outlaws issue number 47 makes a strong case for Jason Todd to be the true successor to Batman, personality flaws aside. Hmm. While Jason considers Tim Drake the best Robin, Tim Drake has never been a mainstream Batman because he isn't interested in the position at all. Right. Dick has always seemed more natural as the high-flying Nightwing. And Damien is still some ways off from taking up the role in the DC universe. Yeah. But Jason finally appears to be the soldier Bruce always wanted him to be. Um, 
in the field, even if he never showed his mentor this side of him. Right. Over the past few issues of Red Hood, Jason removes all traces of his rash, hot-headed ways and becomes the leader of a makeshift outlaw team fighting off the untitled. In the chamber of all, he comes off like almost like Captain America, making it clear that they won't harm innocents as they destroy the mystical obelisk to stop Damn. Earth from being raised by Trigon. Essence, the human offspring of the Allcase, doesn't mind collateral damage, but Jason reigns her in and convincingly commands her and Artemis to rescue the civilians. Even General Glory, a former hero and a current soldier, is impressed by Jason's attitude, hmm. and the old so- soldier shows him some respect, loyalty, and hustle, which is something he doesn't do very often. It's profound how quickly Jason adapts to managing personalities and coming off calm under pressure in a way that's reminiscent of how Bruce is with the Justice League. He even risks his own life the same way that Batman would to help seal the chamber while still trying to find a way to save Bizarro, who's on the inside fighting Trigon. Hold on for a second. Hold on for a second. This, it's funny that this article mentions that part where Bizarro was fighting Trigon. I recently saw the screenshots that you posted and oh man bizarro gave him those hands how is that even possible this is trigon destroyer of worlds and bizarro Bizarro came in there and gave gave those (laughs) not only did he do that he did that in trigon's realm yo what is happening his house took his cookies and walked out (laughs) now the question I have, though, could Superman do that? Because I've never seen where Superman was a match for Trigon. Can Superman do that to if, Trigon? If you've kind of followed up with the Red Hood and the Outlaws stories, mm-hmm. it's as much as Bizarro is kind of like the opposite of Superman, like Frost or... Uh, Flame breath, mm-hmm. frost vision, whatever, all that stuff. Right. As a character, he has been developing a lot, and it's kind of been in a very different way from Superman. Uh... He's not. He he's not the American Pie, you know, apples and baseball and everything <laughs> else. You know, yeah. he's he's there and. He, again, he is heavily a brawler. Right, right. Because especially with the kind of limited mental capacity. Not that he's stupid, but he was developed in a way. Like, he was created in a way where he was meant to be an instrument. Smart enough to follow orders and that's Facts, it. facts. And he actually has a story arc where he actually becomes a super genius. And you see him doing all this stuff. Like, he develops a way to travel dimensions. What? Yeah. It's actually... And he ends up losing it. But there was a whole story arc, and it actually developed him a lot. And it it shows a very different side of him. Interesting. And it's the kind of side where, again, Superman would do anything to protect his friends. But, like, that's just it. Like, they're his friends. As far as Bizarro is concerned... Artemis and Red Hood, so Jason Todd, right. they're family. They're they're not just friends. They're family to him. Right. 
and almost pretty much the same way the other way around too like we're at the point where artemis and jason todd are they're not quite dating but they're like flirting onto that being in an official relationship type way right and they've explored that a bit too and like Rhett and bizarro is basically like their brother type thing it's interesting it's almost like you know like all the bat family considers each other like outright family they're not just friends they're not just whatever they're family this is basically the same thing for jason todd right these guys are family it's not just friends not even close friends not teammates these are guys who are flesh and blood to him right so i think that bit of development has given bizarro a very distinct development path that's far different from what we've seen in the past word for the character yeah it's like in sharp contrast to the wild youth he once was this mature jason improvises at the drop of a hat and turns a team that's not too strong into a powerhouse he harnesses everyone's potential and maxes out their strength to show he's learned tactics from the master when we saw Jason in the Arkham Knight in the video games or his Punisher like Batman in Bruce's absence, it was clear that Jason didn't have the mental aspects of the role down. Not at all. However, Jason is embodying what it means to be a heroic Batman and understanding what Bruce taught him about the rage inside for years. The fact that he has his own Bat family in the form of a home with Ma Gunn's home for runaway kids. And he's been using that to sort of like help superhuman kids. He technically started teaching some villains and everything there was a weird story arc oh, where jason todd sort of was teaching villains while bizarro and artemis were trafted in an alternate dimension leading a rebellion because <laughs> yeah the two of them led a rebellion in an alternate <laughs> dimension and it's sort of where bizarro got his current look which is if you're familiar with street fighter yeah he looks very similar to zangief he does he does. He definitely does. But yeah, he kind of, Red Hood kind of started teaching some kids who are meant to be like the next generation of supervillains. Wow. It, it'll be interesting to see how that fully pays off. But yeah. It's like Jason has embraced his inner Bruce, and while he's always been physically capable, Jason's mind is finally in the right spot to serve as a Batman when the time is right. Even if he's still not the most obvious candidate, he has all the tools he needs and he's learned more than a few lessons from his mentor and the rest of the Bat family. Wow. That's interesting. That's interesting. Um just for the record, I don't I don't really believe the day will ever come where they'll get rid of the Bruce Wayne version of Batman simply for uh profit margin reasons. Um, it it always seems to me in comic books that they make these big changes, but eventually they return back to the status quo. So there might yes come a time where uh, they explore that, and we might get a couple of years out of it. Uh, Jason Todd being Batman, a couple of years of stories out of it, but eventually they'll go back to Bruce. Cause the reason I I I think that more than ever is man, my um daughter was having this conversation. About how how very much how we hate um, the way DC lords over Batman and 
and pretty much spoon feeds Batman to the audience when it comes to television and shit like that. Like, we literally had a bunch of Superman TV series. The idea that we can't have a straight-up Batman live-action series on TV is absurd to me because they're saying to themselves, oh, no, we got to keep him for the big movies and this, that, and the thing. No, you don't. If you give him a TV series, guess what? People will still go see him in the movies. So I don't oh, understand. Sure. I don't understand that. And it's one of the annoying things about how DC is dealing with that particular piece of their IP. You can most certainly do Batman on television if you're doing Supergirl, Superman, Green Arrow. Look, look, look. Green Arrow was ostensibly the Green Batman. He had a lot of his same role gallery. Like, his his entire swag was a Batman swag. You know, and it's like, come on, man. If you can do all of that, you can give us Batman. And I don't understand their reasoning for not. After all these years, I don't, I don't get it. I don't get it. He's not that hard to do. He's just not. As a matter of fact, he should be easier to do than uh, 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 Supergirl. Because she has a whole host of powers and you have to represent those. It's a lot easier writing for a character like, like Bruce Wayne because he's not bulletproof. So you can make things that are arguably uh, reasonable threats to him without spending a whole lot of money in special effects. Come on, man. You can give us Batman. You can give us a Batman live action series. You absolutely can. And the fact that you don't means you suck. And and, and, this, and and I'm going to blame that. I'm also going to use that as an excuse or a reason why your movies suck. Because this is the type of thinking that you over there do. But whatever. That's just my unsolicited rant <laughs> for the day. Give us a goddamn Batman live series on TV already. Come on. Come on. Uh, so I think that is the last uh, story right there. Uh, so the main event, I'll let you introduce that. All right. Right now, this is somewhat inspired from last week's episode. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. We were talking because we were going to do an Iron Man versus Lex Luthor matchup. Right. And you wanted to sort of explore the whole tech and genius Thing because there's a lot of characters with a, that very similar skill set because a lot of these guys mm-hmm. don't necessarily some of them have powers but most of them don't right right they are just they either heavily use tech they're geniuses or both right so like obviously this list will include guys like Iron Man and Lex Luthor, but we're also looking at guys like Batman and Moon Knight who not necessarily at the genius level of things, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. but they are fair. They're just they're not under stupid. it. Yeah, they're kind of like Batman is just stupid. under it. They're still fairly smart. Yeah. They're good, they're good problem solvers, but they also heavily rely on tech. Right. Then you have guys like the Fixer. For one example, I guess you could probably add like Brainiac in that group as well. Oh, yeah, easily. Now, here's my question though, because I've never been quite clear about this. All uh, right, so 
Brainiac is what a living computer is that is that what he is? Um, because is is it is it that he has the ability to absorb the knowledge of these civilizations exclusively, or does he invent some of the tech he has, or is this just a result? of absorbing all of those different civilizations and taking pieces of shit that he got from the, from these other civilizations and creating this tech with that. Because I think that would kind of... Um, I mean, yes, the result being he's still a technological uh, powerhouse, but I don't know if, we, if I would give him the same as I would give Stark or uh, Luther because of that. Because... This is other people's inventions and shit, and you just, <laughs> like, took that shit. <laughs> and, you know, it does take some genius, of course, to, to make it work and to uh, bend it to your will, so to speak, and, and form it into a different thing that suits you. But still, I mean, it's not like you, Eureka, I have an idea, any of this. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Like, is that what he is? Is he just a living computer? It's... It's changed because in some runs he is an extraterrestrial cyborg mm-hmm. or an android. But then there's also other runs where he's actually just an alien. Right. Right. So it's it's hard to say where he fits in on that one. Interesting. Interesting. Well, either way, but, the result is the same. He has access to technology far beyond that of most uh, civilizations. So, he's a threat either way. Yeah, but it also shows heavily that from from the planet Kolu, which is where Brainiac's from, Mm -hmm. that they had a war with a tech based race and it sort of led to a prejudice against artificial life Mm -hmm. and more of a a heavy preference for theoretical research right which made brainiac kind of an outlier who preferred actual experimentation had no issues with artificial life and intelligence and they also had a thing where there's like certain levels of intelligence this is steady throughout DC as a whole, like right. you have your eighth level intelligence, your twelfth level, your whatever level, right? And Brainiac qualifies as a twelfth level intelligence, right. and as far as that society was concerned, once you got that smart, you became mentally and socially unstable. Ah, that explains. A lot. And it it, it kind of shows a lot throughout the u- throughout the use of Brainiac that he isn't exactly the most stable person around yeah especially in um the legion of superheroes that version of brainiac um that becomes a hero um there has been times with that character where his uh instability absolutely shows you know so it's like i can see that i could definitely see that um if we go i want to kind of talk about um lex luther for a second though because I have a list here of some of his feats. And I got to say, man, like, Lex is not to be, Lex is not to be played with 
And it's one of the reasons why I, I feel like that armor he he made is below what he's capable of. So he created a protoplasmic life form when he was a teenager. Uh, teenage Lex, this is Silver Age Lex Luthor, by the way. I'm making that distinction. Uh, teenage Lex was able to create an antidote for kryptonite poisoning in a very short period of time. Um, let's see. He, it, there's one where he created a satellite that charged all of Earth's lead into glass. They changed it all into glass. So uh, he creates a, a chemical solution that allowed his body to radiate kryptonite rays. <laughs> Talk about being a having a specific power set for a specific hero, right? Um, yep. Let's see. Uh, he built a neutron a neutron rod a device to stabilize the unstable core of lexor and its entire geological uh framework he restored a petrified alien to life created an upgraded version of professor dalton's duplicate array which he used to create bizarro um he made a neutron bomb but i don't know if that's a big deal anymore um because, once again, so, uh, Silver Age. Uh, Anti-gravity equipment. Um, let's see. Uh, vibro gun, which he used to destroy a Superman robot. Robots Superman built back then, which were weaker versions. They had weaker versions of his powers. They don't do that anymore, do they? They like Because like, I remember oh, back I... in the day, they used Superman had robots. Much like Doom. <laughs> had Doom bots and shit. I, they don't use it as often anymore. I think it pops up every now and then. Hmm. But it, I don't think it's really all that common anymore. Right. Right. Uh, he's even built time machines. You know, like, it, it's... He's built interdimensional travel devices that go to other universes. Like, Lex has feet. He has serious feet. Um, and like I said, I don't know how many of those things are as relevant to current Lex, but I got to figure with all the advancements that just real life society has made um, in that time between the Silver Age comics and now, they have to be showing Lex at a higher level now than he was at Silver Age, right? They got to be. You'd think so. Yeah. Um. So uh, uh, tell them more about the Fixer. Well, the Fixer is a Marvel character for sure. Mm -hmm. But his whole thing is he creates technology. Right. Often for villains. He has done the odd one where he's created something for heroes. But he's generally creating things for villains. Mm-hmm. And a lot of them come to him for all their tech. Right. He's also known as Mr. Fix or Mr. Fix-It. He also <laughs> had a thing as uh, a range where he has like Ogre or Techno. Right. But one of the things he does, like obviously he creates technology. He he helps fix up the stuff like he's fixed tech for whiplash before which is the same he's thing. he's fixed tech for 
like shocker all these guys they come to him if they need upgrades they come to him it's like oh hey this is what i i need to be able to con- contend with you know spider-man right now and he's had all these new upgrades to his suit they come to him and he upgrades all their stuff he's He's an inventor. He's worked with groups like Hydra. He's briefly worked with uh, S.H.I.E.L.D., I believe. Hmm. Uh, He's done stuff for the Masters of Evil, the Thunderbolts, Advanced Idea Mechanics, or AIM. Uh, He's he's actually been equal partners with Mentalo. Oh, wow. Who's an X-Men villain who's also an Avengers villain. Uh, he's successfully managed to capture Nick Fury before. Which, hold up, stop. Now, for those of you that might be unfamiliar with how tough of that a feat that is to do, let me assure you, capturing Nick Fury, first of all, actually being in the same room with the real Nick Fury is difficult enough as it is. Because the truth of the matter is, you never know if you're in the room with him or not. You just don't. And the fact that he he was able to capture Nick Fury, that's a hell of a feat right there. That is a hell of a feat. Yeah. I would call that his top level feat, to be honest. Like, can you name anybody else that did that? And I'm talking... Not unless he, not unless he wants to be captured. Not unless he wants to be captured. Right. Right. If he doesn't want to be captured, he's damn good at making sure he doesn't. And here's the thing about that. If he wants to be captured, it's a situation like in that scene from Watchmen with with uh, Rorschach. He's not locked in there with you. You're locked in there with him. If he wants you to find him and capture him, he has a plan. He has ulterior motive. And it's not really going to bode that well for you. Sheesh, the fixer. I've only had um limited amount of experience uh, with the fixer in comics. Uh, you know, yeah, and, and it's weird because, like, as much as strong, well, I say strong, but that's heavily because at this point he's almost equal parts robot and human. Yeah, facts, facts, facts. But like, as smart as he is and everything. He also regularly just jobs to people. <laughs> it's like, <laughs> yeah, he, he, like he's successfully captured Nick Fury, and he gets single-handedly beat by the Thing <laughs> right after. You know, he's been beaten by Spider-Man. He's been beaten by Captain America, Iron Man, Ant Man. <laughs> Yellow jacket, He's black a bag. <laughs> yeah, it's like he he just jobs to everybody, but at the same time, he's capable of competing with half these guys. Yeah, and the fact that he's building the gear for villains that do compete with these guys on a regular basis says something about his capabilities. It's just that he jobs for people like he's a ham and egger, a jabroni. <laughs> Yeah, and yet at the same time, he's actually helped. Like he's he's developed some tech for Deadpool in the past. Yep, yep, yep. 
but he's also uh, helped develop some of Cable's tech. Which is insane when you think about it. Yeah, in fact, uh, he's responsible for the fact that Cable's alive currently. Wow. Because of uh, he was able to take some of the techno-organic virus and create a mesh out of it and use that mesh, bonded it to Cable to help him deal with the fact that the virus was taking over his body completely at the point. Right. The fixer. You know, the other thing about the fixer is... Yeah, like he can deal with stuff like that. Yeah. I don't know, man. I think he's victim of a curse, man. He's victim of a curse. He's been a villain. Like, at one point, he was the head of Hydra's scientific division. So he's had high moments. He's had high moments. And then there's other times where uh, he's done things like he's been one of the supervisors to keep an eye on male supervillains at the raft. (laughs) He's like, you name like any of the big, like Hydra masters of evil, like Thunderbolts guys. He's worked with all of them. Right. At the same time, he's done enough good things that it's like, okay, like, is he really super villainous or is it more just he's bored? Bored opportunist. I would say, I would, I would, I would put that. He's incredibly smart and he's just bored. So he's doing things that challenge him. But I also wondering, does he have mental health issues? Illegal. Yeah. But I wonder if he has mental health issues too, because he's floating around what apparently seems to be no, he has this talent. He's very talented. He's very intelligent, very intelligent, but it seems like almost, that he has a mental health issue that prevents him from focusing um, too long on anything to be really successful at it. Because you got to think a guy with his resume, if he really focused in, he could actually be a threat, a bona fide threat if he wanted to, to a lot of groups. He could be a team buster with his tech, actually. And yet he's not. Now, you have characters that aren't, tech based that are this way too like uh, Juggernaut but we know why Juggernaut isn't um, he's a team buster but he isn't a world threat because he's a very simple minded individual that's all that is like he, he sees things he sees I mean, things very simple one of the things he's done is he's been one of the he's been one of the senior members on the Thunderbolts team that that Bucky Winter Soldier led which is crazy. That's crazy, right? He developed... He he was smart enough to be able to realize he was being manipulated by the Cosmic Cube and then develop tech that would basically make him immune to the reality warping of that cube. Jeez Louise, man. And then use that tech to help other people. And it was one of the things that actually became a big thing during the standoff storyline with uh, Maria Hill. Right. Where she was using the cosmic cube to alter reality and force villains to basically forget everything they knew and become 
the simple citizens of a town called Pleasant, Pleasant Hill. Yeah, Pleasant Hill. I remember that story. I remember yeah, that. Yeah, Fixer was the one who basically saw through it all wow. and then developed the tech that made all the villains revert back to who they really were. Wow. I remember that story. So he's had high moments, man. Like, the fact that he's able to contend with the Cosmic Cube. Facts. Tells you a lot about it. But then, yeah, he'll just job to fucking Black Knight. <laughs> what is happening? <laughs> what is the problem? Paul, we're talking to you, Paul. Like, seriously. <laughs> Get your shit together, man. <laughs> what the hell is happening? Yeah. He's not the only character like that either. There are several tech-based characters there. When you look at what they've actually accomplished as far as tech, you think, yo, this guy, this guy could be a serious threat. And then you see where they're jobbing to Power Pack. <laughs> some, some group like, like what? You kidding? Yeah. I don't know. Man. Like, like I said, it's one of those things where it's like, he has the stuff where it's like, okay, he could be like a serious threat. Right. And then it's like, cool, some guys who are barely above random thug. <laughs> he, then he, he, he messes around and gets beat up by like, Immortal Man or something. To, <laughs> the fact that he's able to manipulate and deal with the techno-organic virus and create a mesh out of it that can save Cable's life. Right, right. Tells you, it's like, that the techno-organic virus, outside of Cable isn't even doesn't even exist in the 616 universe at that time period right right that's the thing that happens in the future facts facts and yet he's able to see this stuff manipulate it play around with it and create things out of it that no one else can right. he can absorb mach- other machines and technology into his body <laughs> and rearrange his body after that to create whatever he needs to deal with at the time like comparatively he's basically a human version of forge facts facts and forge is right up there as far as i believe forge is qualifies as an omega level mutant because i think the current definition of uh, Omega level mutant is someone whose abilities cannot be replicated, right? And arguably by humans via any technology or anything like that. Arguably, uh, Forge can't, but the Fixer comes Forge, close as fuck. <laughs> I believe Fixer comes so close that it disqualifies Forge yeah. from <laughs> right. Omega level. Right, he's that close. That's something else too uh, that we didn't. We don't have Forge on this list, but Forge is also a tech heavyweight. But I'm I'm gonna keep it real with you. I always felt like they never really used Forge to the peak of his ability. Um, well, every time they start exploring how far he can go, mm-hmm. it always results in Forge being a villain. Yeah, yeah, that's a fact. That's a fact. Like, he was the one who developed the stuff, the technology that can eliminate the X gene out of mutants. Which would 
a lot of mutants would consider that to be a bad thing. Um, oh, you, yeah. Of course, you have it, some it, that wouldn't, but there are... It, it's part of the reason why I believe it was... Uh, he, he was dating Storm at the time. Yep. And it was why Storm broke up with him. I remember that. All of that was uh, pre-execution of song uh, storyline. Yeah. yeah, something like mm-hmm. that. But yeah, it was like... He's gone mad. He he actually there was a storyline where he created a new breed of mutant. He was genetically modifying guys. Wow. To the point where their mutant abilities wouldn't read as an X gene. Wow. Because their their DNA operated on three strands rather than two. So my question is his mutant power um, is just he's an intuitive genius. Is that what that is? Like he has a just a superhuman talent for inventing things. Because um, I know some of his uh, ability functions as you know uh, perception. Yeah. Um, you know different things like that. But he's really because all right. So as I'm looking at his uh, power set, it says. Forge's superhuman talent does not mean that he is a greater inventor than geniuses such as Reed Richards, Victor Von Doom, or Anthony Stark, none of whom owe their talent for invention to mutation. I guess my question is, if that's the case, if he does not um, surpass any of these humans, for all intents and purposes, they're not mutants. If he does not surpass them, like... How do we actually rank his power? Because, you know... Well, there's also the follow-up, like, the immediate lines after that where it talks about, like, where most people would have to consciously work out the theoretical principles. Uh... He just kind of knows it, and even he doesn't understand how it works or why it works because he's not actually necessarily smart enough to understand and learn this. Mm -hmm. He just knows... If I do this, it will work. That's crazy. He can't explain the science behind it. That's he doesn't crazy. know the science behind it. But he's already subconsciously figured out a lot of these steps, which allows him to make these inventions. Dude, you know how and crazy it, that and is? And it follows it up. In order to understand how a lot of his own inventions work, he has to repeatedly take them apart. <laughs> because he doesn't understand how he built them. Wow. Wow. Do you realize that if he was actually a, a genius. genius along with this power, he'd be unstoppable? Oh, yeah. It's also why, like, again, every time you start seeing him get on the more intelligent side and exploring that aspect, he tends to go crazy and becomes a villain. <laughs> like, on top of just knowing how to do all this stuff if he actually gained the understanding of why it works the way it works, right. He goes insane. So it's almost like he becomes too intelligent to handle it. It's interesting. Like, I think it's a, you know, we've seen uh, characters in the past, um, and their power sets. A lot of them are pretty basic spinoffs of the Superman prototype. You know, they got some version of super strengths, some fly, uh, some sort of vision, some, whatever, you know, speed, reflexes, all of that. 
It's interesting that they took this particular route when they were developing Forge's character. Like, this is really a nuanced character as far as his powers go. Far more nuanced than a lot of other characters when you really think about it. The fact that he does not himself know why these inventions he makes works. He just has this instinctual thing of, if I put this with this and connect that, it'll have this effect. In order yeah. to make this happen, I need to get this piece, this piece. Or it might not even be the whole, I need this effect will happen. It's right. more just, I know something will happen. Right, right. It's kind of crazy, man. It's kind of crazy. And I think uh, from that, some of his other uh, abilities on here, um, the sorcery thing, I think they added that to give some spice to the character, to be honest. Like, he, it says he also has a high mystical aptitude and has developed several magical spells, including a so-called spirit sight, the ability to open portals to other dimensions, the ability to steal and use other souls to enhance his mystical spells, and to separate his mind from his body and travel in a spirit form, similar to Professor X's astral form. For the most part, he has not used these abilities in years, and hence is out of practice in wielding them. I think the fact that I, I really believe they were overcompensating. Um, they looked at his power set and was, they, they developed for him. It was like, okay, we're kind of in a box with some of this. Let's well, give it, him, it, it, you know. It kind of makes sense. Look at the fact that he has that more intuitive genius level. Mm, good and point. He just kind of knows things. And given that magic is a very real thing in the Marvel Universe. And very intuitive. And in a lot of these cases, it's not necessarily... You know, it's not always study the way Facts. that Voodoo has, Facts. Doctor Strange has, Victor Facts. Von Doom has. A lot of them are guys like, it's almost a primal magic, like what the character Shaman does, right. or some of these other ones where it's more, again, it's a primal magic, and I feel like this falls more under that. It's more primal, it's more... You know, naturalistic it's, it, rather than yeah, it's it's not unlike uh, the gods in the sense that like um, all of the gods in the Marvel universe have a predisposition to, for magic. Now, whether or not they choose to develop it is something else. But even the average rank and file Asgardian has a predisposition towards magic. Not that they've studied any of the shit. It's just a nature of of, of what they are. So that's kind of it's kind of forged into a degree, right? Like yeah. when it comes to these, it's kind of like him. It's like oh, it's that's kind of that's crazy, man. Can you imagine an entire species of beings that were like forge? Just a species. This, this is what this was their uh, ability. Was his ability? And also remember, like forge is more. Uh is Native American. Yeah, facts. And facts. grew up in a, a shamanistic society. Right. So he was using those abilities like that, to figure that it out. That kind of thing in Marvel is a very real thing. A lot of normal humans who grow up in societies accepting that kind of thing. They can tap into that, that power. Tap into it, can sort of understand it and use it. Right. And so, gotta, yeah, that makes sense, man. Growing up in a society that would be accepting of that and encouraging of people, like 
every tribe has its own shaman. Every tribe has its own spiritual elder. Right. Learning to do that, being around that, would kind of add to that. Yeah, it makes sense. And, and of course, with his particular ability, being raised in a society like that, he would use that ability to understand this sort of stuff. He'd be pretty intuitive with it. Because he obviously can do a lot. My first experiences with Forge was... um, uh, Which also makes that whole uh, thing about Shaq wanting to play Forge even more wild. Dude, I'm going to tell you something. (laughs) Shaq... I know for a fact that the odds of you even hearing this show are long and wide. However, in the off chance that you do, cut the crap, man. (laughs) Seriously, (laughs) cut the crap, man. (laughs) We're not here for that. We are not here for for Shaq. Uh, Forge, uh, starring Shaq, no. No. Absolutely not. I have a nephew nicknamed Shaq. He's more forged than you. And he, hey, look, and he even had a tech channel at one point. So, no, nah, B, no, not you. No. Forge. <laughs> Give me a... <laughs> it's like, man. <laughs> you know, sit your ass down. Yeah, but you made enough. Sit down. Sit down. We don't want to hear that. Um, let's see. So, let's kind of... Uh, Let's talk, let's talk about Reed Richards for a minute and his relation to uh, Doom. Because, to me, his direct uh, competitor is Victor, it right? Is, it's Victor. Yeah. Like, I mean, Reed Richards gets lauded throughout the, the Marvel Universe for his uh, tech genius and, and scientific mind and all of that. But, but if we're to be honest... Doom is better, right? Like, <laughs> Doom is better. And the only reason Doom doesn't get lauded for that is because he's perceived as, you know, the villain. So he doesn't get those those accolades. Like, when they speak of Doom's genius, they speak of it in nefarious tones. You know, the infamous uh, Doom um, intelligence or whatever. But with Reed, it's celebrated. And, um, they literally go to him. You know how many times I've seen different uh, superhero groups have an issue, and they're like, oh, we, we got to contact Reed. We got to contact Reed. They go yeah. to Reed, right? Every, and then you got to realize, like, there's also, what is it, the Interdimensional Council of Reeds? Yo, yes. Yes. Where it's just a whole bunch of variations of Reed Richards. <laughs> my question. Talking to himself, and they all hate each other, and they all love each other. It's, my question it's is. Weird. Wouldn't you expect there to be an interdimensional council of doom? No. There's only doom. There's only the one true doom. Oh, man. Reed needs a council to come up with the same amount of things that just one doom can. Can you you imagine a storyline where Dr. Doom, Dr. Doom versus the interdimensional council of Reed? Dude, that'd be a hell of a storyline right there. It, it it would be almost as if Doom was like um, John McClane from the Die Hard series. <laughs> and it would kind of pose a few interesting scenarios as well. Word. Because 
you also have like the interdimensional council of kings yes you do and in that one you get a couple of versions of reed richards you get a couple of versions of his son franklin richards Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. but there's also quite a few comics that imply that kang is doom i've seen i've seen that i've seen kang could possibly a a family member or or a descendant descendant. yeah like i've seen yeah i've seen all of those but there's there's been a few issues where of comics some of them older but like one of them was a fairly recent one mm-hmm. where it wasn't just like a descendant of but it's straight up doom himself wow possibly going to the future or from the future to the past and ended up giving himself amnesia or something and causing a, a split in the uh in a timeline yeah and then like there was i want to say it was an avengers run where they had it was a weird thing where there was like the current Avengers team plus a couple of the previous teams. Mm-hmm. Or it was the current team at the time. I think it was the the team before the very current one. Mm-hmm. But there was a couple of other ones. So like there was the team with Hercules and Cap. And then there was like a bunch of them. They all ended up because it was weird time travel bullshit because of course there was. Wait a minute. Was that the one it, where they all uh, teamed together to fight that version of Ultron? No, I don't think it was Ultron in this one. Okay. But, like, they found this box, and it was supposed to be, like, oh, yeah, this box is Doom. And it, they opened it up, and it just shows all these versions of Doctor Doom. <laughs> and there was straight up, Kang was one of them. Wow. And it was a more recent one. And it's like, there was a while there where they kind of gave up hinting that Kang was Doom. And then they just did this again. It's like, okay, so... Is Kang Doom? That's a good question. And if Kang is Doom, that version of Doom needs to explain why he's, he gets his ass handed to him far more times than the actual like like version of Doom that we recognize as Doom. He does. Like, Doom doesn't lose anywhere near as much as Kang does. And yeah. it, it, that's a question we had to ask. When he gave himself amnesia, did that also... Uh, you know, take some other innate abilities that he had away from him. Um, because, like, now, of course, it, it largely depends on what version of, of Kang we're talking about, but I know that the cartoon version that was on the Earth's Mightiest Heroes show. Oh, it was all based off of Stark Tech? Yeah, but he was handing the Avengers their asses pretty handily through most of that storyline. He was giving yeah. it to him. Like, they could barely break through his force shields. Thor with Mjolnir, which is a planet buster, couldn't break through his force field. The Hulk got mad and did some things, but he couldn't break through the force. I mean, that Kang was pretty impressive until he what they found a way around it, you know, his tech or whatever. Um, But the only, the only reason why I would doubt if that version of Kang was Doom because I don't believe that Doom would um, would succumb to using Stark Tech. I don't think he would use it. I think he would have his own shit. Um, now, he might very well uh, uh, take ideas, but I don't think he would leave a glaring hole, <laughs> like a glaring hole for somebody to be able to find to say, this is what we'll exploit to defeat him. I don't think Doom... 
Because if that was the case, um, has has Tony Stark ever, speaking of genius versus genius, has Tony Stark ever been able to hack? I know he hacked into um, Doom's computers one time, and he did some stupid shit with it. He didn't do nothing really destructive, just some dumb shit. And this was during the time when um, Thor had basically become All-Father, had uh, brought Asgard over top of uh, New York, and was actively interfering with world politics. And um, in that storyline, after uh, <laughs> after Iron Man, you know, was shown, because Doom pretty much told Iron Man, listen, are you going to let that Asgardian buffoon do blah, 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 you know? <laughs> and it wound up ending into a fight with uh, um, uh Stark and Allfather uh, Thor, and with, which which uh, Stark had created the Godbuster um, armor or whatever, which did a pretty good job until it didn't. But I know after that, uh, Stark realized that Doom had kind of um, I wouldn't I wouldn't go so far as to say completely manipulated the situation, but he manipulated parts of it to get what he wanted out of the deal. And on his way back to the United States, Stark was talking to Doom in his uh, headset thing, and he did something to Doom's equipment that Doom was using, not his armor itself, but but to his equipment uh, via some sort of virus or whatever. But my question is, has Stark ever done that to um, Iron Man's armor? Because I don't think so. I don't think Stark has ever hacked into Iron Man's armor. And and because he could, because he if he could, he would. I don't think he can. So that's why I don't think Doom would use stark tech like that i think doom tech might be a little superior to stark tech in some ways you know actually i would i would disagree with that one. Oh, for real and that's because doom has admitted that star tech is superior to doom tech wow but he phrased it in typical doom fashion <laughs> where he outright told tony you're one of those that Nietzsche wrote about in Zarathustra. Men lacking everything but for a surplus of one thing. <laughs> you are no more than one great eye, one great mouth, or one great belly. <laughs> or a great suit of armor. You're the best there is at what you do, Stark. I'm happy to admit that. But it's all you do. <laughs> he actually shitted on him with that. Just to, I mean, to be clear... It's like, yeah, your 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 tech is better, but your tech is the only, only thing, thing you can you have. do. Every other aspect, I am better. Right, right. You actually shit it on him. <laughs> I mean, if you really look at it, it was a, it was a left handed compliment at at best. At you know, best, at best, yeah. left handed, like insane. insane. And again. It was in the uh, Iron Man run leading up to the infamous Iron Man run. Right. Where uh, Stark invented uh, a zero-point energy web net specifically to capture Doom if Doom showed up uninvited. Wow. Because Doom kept showing up uninvited. (laughs) (laughs) Well, that's what Doom will do from time to time. He'll... (laughs) And set it up in a way where it's like he, he can't blast his way out. He can't teleport his way out. 
he can't magic his way out. That's crazy. That's a crazy feat, actually. That's a, that's a crazy feat right there. So um, let's talk about Moon Knight because he's on this list as well. Okay, so Moon Knight, he's developed some of his own tech. Not necessarily all of it, mm-hmm. but a lot of his tech he's kind of developed. Including something that's similar to Batman in the form of like almost the cape glider. Ah, okay. Like his his cape does have the glider cloak. Can't fly, but it, it's not. He's developed some of it, but a lot of it, uh, Duchamp or Frenchie, mm-hmm. has developed a lot of it. But his his suit, he did a lot of the work, and then Duchamp upgrades it. But it involves like ad, he's works with adamantium in his suit. Ah, ah, uh, he has like the glider cloak. He has uh, he has the carbonadium armored vestment. So like a bunch of uh, carbonadium armor in his suit. This was, like, big when he was part of, like, the West Coast Avengers. Right. That carbonadium is almost as tough as adamantium. Isn't it the same stick- um, same metal that uh, Omega Red kind of uses? Yes. Yeah. It's almost as tough as adamantium, so almost as strong. But it's a lot more flexible. Mm, okay. It's a lot more. It's lighter. It's more flexible, more it's better for movement, which is again why Omega Red uses it. It's why he uses it here, and he has it weaved into his uh, his suit. Yeah, well, it's his suit is basically made out of it. Jeez, and then he'll weave part part of it was like Kevlar, mm-hmm. and he's replaced that with straight up adamantium. Wow. But he also has things like his crescent dart launchers, which is about as versatile and useful as Batman's batarangs. Batarang bat crossed with like a bat grappling hook, right? And are they made of uh, mythic metal forged, or are they just basic? Um, like... I think it's a bit more basic. Mm-hmm. But he has like cable lines that he can use for swinging and grappling. He has like a a laser cutting torch in it. He has, you know, almost jump jets in his boots. Wow. Batman doesn't even have that. Yeah. I'm looking at a list of his stuff. If you look at some of his other stuff, like he has that, uh, the moon copter. Yeah. Which is like a giant crescent moon shaped it, it says copter. It says helicopter. Mm-hmm. But it, it it's a jet. It flies at 220 miles per hour at 10,000 feet. Does it have any special armor, armaments? Uh, uh, 20 mm cannons. Damn. Yeah, it's... And that's... It's just basic light cannon. That's more of what he uses for just 
going around. But that's the point now. That's the question I have about him. He also has his angel wing, which is uh, a smaller one, which is, again, crescent moon-shaped. The, how it's... often does he use them, though? That's That's the question I have. They make fairly regular appearances in his stuff. Okay. Like, his angel wing is a little uh, closer to something like the Green Goblin Goblin Glider. Ah, that's interesting. That's what his angel wing is. He uses that for more. You know, if he needs it, he has remote access, stuff like that. So does he use that in combat at times? Like, the Green Goblin will use his glider in combat as a weapon, as a mode of transportation, you name it. Um, Does he do do similar with that? He uses it more for transportation than he has weapons. Hmm. Like, I don't don't think the Angel Wing is uh, equipped with any actual weapons. Right. But he has used it for transportation. It holds two people effectively. And then, like, you look at his weapons, he has a whole bunch. Like, he has uh, energy shields. Mm-hmm. Which, and again, this is something where he draws a lot of similar comparisons to Batman in the sense that he actively uses the stuff. Right. He comes up with a lot of the ideas for it, but he doesn't actually develop the tech himself. Himself, right. Right. But he has, like, he has pistols that are designed to shoot crescent darts that are, like, specially modified. And these ones were given to him by Beast, and they made it specially modified so it's similar in weight and distribution to his crescent darts, but it's a special gun. And they did that because, well, you're kind of insane and we don't want to do anything that would throw you off balance. (laughs) Which Uh, comes up later on because Moon Knight gets shot and Beast's like, are you okay? It's like, oh, don't worry about it. I'm insane, remember? Now, please hurry up. I am in incredible pain. (laughs) (laughs) Hey, man. But see, that begs the question. So now that that he has this power boost... He probably doesn't use any of that tech right now, does he? I mean, not entirely. It's only really been two issues of it, so it's hard to say. But yeah, like, he has the energy shield that replicates Captain America's vibranium shield. Right. He has a pair of bracers that have both web shooters and claw Wait a minute, did you say web shooters? Yes. Jeez. Because there was this whole... There was a run where, again, Moon Knight being insane, (laughs) they they moved a bit away from his uh, personalities, well, his actual personalities being the personalities he was listening to. Right. And he had three, the three personalities he was listening to was Captain America, Spider-Man, and Wolverine. Jeez. So he developed the energy shield. The claws. Claw. And the bracers had uh, web shooters so he could simulate Spider-Man. And it also had claw extensions out of it so he could simulate Wolverine. Well, so what a minute. Was it adamantium? Uh, I don't think it was adamantium. But he did have those claws and 
he didn't actively realize for quite a while that he wasn't actually teaming up with Spider-Man, Wolverine, <laughs> and Captain America, and that it was just himself with this tech. Like I said, he's kind of insane. Yeah, he's a bit of a nutbag. Bit of a nutbag. But then he also has multiple just golden Egyptian onks, some of which he just uses as a club. Hmm. Other ones he can use to do things like absorbing Iron Fist's power. Or absorbing the powers of the Eye of Agamotto. Hmm. So, it's like, he's capable of absorbing the powers of heroes with these things, but more often than not, he uses them like a club. And just beats people with it. (laughs) He's a damn nut. He is a damn nut. I don't know what it is, but the with these nutty, I always find these nutty characters to be uh, fascinating. Um, they're they're so amusing. Yeah. It's, <laughs> it's, it's the fact that again he is multiple personality disorder, full on schizophrenic. Has he's actively met gods, and yet he's not necessarily sure if the gods exist which is i think to me the most one of the most interesting things about his character is the fact that he's met them but because he's insane and he knows he's insane he doesn't necessarily know if it's just another figment of his own imagination or if it's a real god now the question and and if it is a real god he knows his god's a dick right exactly but this is the this is the the thing i always think about so you, you take uh, Koshun. That's his deity that empowers him. And then you take a deity like Thor. So, from from what it looks like to me, just going over the uh, screenshots I've seen, pages and panels I've seen, um, Koshun must be more powerful. Evidently, than some of these other gods because you have some gods that walk amongst humans like Thor, Hercules, Ares, and and shit like that. But then you have some gods that are, they're just different. Like they're not like like Bast is different. Bast doesn't even uh, reside officially in the realm of of, of Earth. So it's like... That's where like Khonshu is as well. Right. So what's the... Because remember... Bast, being a pan- the Wakandan panther god, mm-hmm. is also an Egyptian god. Right. Bast is in the same pantheon. Same pantheon, right. So it just it makes is- me wonder about their power levels because um, they all recognize that Thor is a god, but they don't sweat him. <laughs> like, Moon yeah. Knight has met Thor, <laughs> right? Yeah, he, he and and he never questions whether or not did I really meet him? Or, well, not only that, but he he's met gods like Ra, right? He's beaten Ra. He he beat the physical avatar of Ra mm. so badly that he turned Ra from more of a heroic villain into an anti-hero. Oh wow. That's because crazy. remember, like, Ra and Khonshu are kind of sworn enemies, right? Right, like, right. E- Even though Ra's not necessarily evil, mm-hmm. 
it's the whole Egyptian culture. Yeah. Ra being the god of the sun. Right. Khonshu being the god the of the moon. moon. So they were rivals. They're basically rivals. They're, they're diametrically opposed despite neither one of them necessarily being evil. evil. Right. And their avatars have also constantly fought each other over the millennia. Right. And it almost always results in Ra's champion eventually killing Khonshu's champion, and then the story of Rebirth happens. And then, like, if Khonshu's champion kills Ra's champion, again, the story of Rebirth happens. Right. So it's like a repeating cycle, and it kind he kind of broke it, but it's like, this is the same... This was the same run where... Uh, Mark Spector made Conchu a subservient personality. He mm. killed Conchu. Right. Which, I mean, says a lot about what Mark Spector can do as well. Yeah. He literally killed a god that couldn't give two shits about guys like Hercules, Loki, or Thor. Exactly! This is, this is, this is, this is the whole... Like, I feel like in Marvel there are uh, f- very physical gods... And which Thor is one. Everything he does is pretty much physical. Very abstract concept. Then, uh, yeah. Concept, yeah. Which would include guys like Boss. Right. Like Boss. Include Kanju. Like guys that aren't. They have their avatars on Earth to deal with things for them. Exactly. They do not need to set foot on the earthly planes. They seem and if bigger they, to If me. they do, it's, it's for cosmic scale events right you're looking at things like i think the one of the big things that boss actually set foot on the on the material plane for last time would have been what chaos war yep chaos war chaos war and that uh conflict um imperled even the abstract gods like uh yeah he the chaos king was a threat to every version of a god in that universe, um, he he was again to me. He seemed to be a mixture of the two, the physical as well as the abstract concept, because he was physically enveloping the entire universe. <laughs> he was physically doing that, but he was also on a, an abstract level where he could compete with um, and even overpower. Uh, gods like Bast and 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 and, and, Konshu and and even the um, I would argue a lot of the Yoruba gods, um, with the exception maybe of Shango, which he's only really appeared in um, he's only really appeared in a few issues, but some of those other um Yoruba gods don't seem physical either. They seem more abstracty, yeah, than than physical form gods. And I'm wondering what's the hierarchy. I think I, I would love to. I know Marvel did a, a book one time before about um, the mythological characters and gods in their universe. That was an old book. I would love to see um, them update that. interpretation of that. Yeah, and what's the hierarchy? Because, you know, for a while before I started really acknowledging any of these more abstract gods, I always would put Odin on the top tier. But truth be told, um, Odin is really he's physical too. I mean, yes, he has he has the ability to do to do things a lot of the abstracts do, but he's physical. 
It's kind of physical. Like, I think one of the most um, abstract thing I've seen of him that really, um, I think, showed how weird gods are is at, a lot of the times when he dies, he's not actually dead dead. Like, when he was killed by, when he, him and Surtur killed each other that one time before, they still existed. They just weren't on the plane of existence that, that Thor and, and the Avengers and, and Earth plane was, but they still existed. They were literally another pocket dimension that his essence was with Surtur's essence fighting each other over and over again, killing each other over and over again. And then one time before when, when Odin died, and Cole, his brother, died. They literally were summoned back into exist, like summoned, and they were somewhere off in some pocket dimension playing chess. Him and his brother playing like that's weird. That's weird god shit right there, you know. And that's why I say like when I guess the higher levels you are of any pantheon, you're kind of a mixture of both, um, physical and 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 abstract problem is Thor has never been, you know, even when Thor becomes Allfather, he doesn't seem to be the abstract type. He seems a very physical, physical God, you know? Yeah. That's crazy. Now, out of the people that's on this list, um, I feel yeah. like Moon Knight kind of segues into Batman fairly naturally because like yeah. we said, they both have the ideas of what they want their equipment to do. They both have the ideas of their general imagery. They they even have a rather distinct theme. And but neither both. one of them necessarily develops their technology, but they do have a thorough understanding of it. Agreed. I think, um, and they're both nuts. Batman's a nut. Like, I know he, he dresses it up well. <laughs> you know, he, he's kind of nutty too so yeah they're comparable they are comparable I, I just think Moon Knight's um, insanity is a lot less uh, functional than Batman's um, but because like literally you don't see Batman shitting the bed too often you know <laughs> you don't see you don't see that happening Moon Knight no. Yeah, Moon Knight is a lot of a lot of the dialogue I've seen from Moon Knight puts him pretty close in in, in proximity to Deadpool <laughs> sometimes <laughs> with some of the nutty shit he does. So, um, well, it's like again, he regularly fights beings that are uh, sort of manifestations of a person's psyche, right? right. So. Instead of doing a logical thing and coming up with a plan to help combat it, like there was that contagion storyline that was like the four or five issue story arc. Right. Moon Knight's just like, okay, I'll let him possess me. <laughs> Why? Because I'm already insane. Right. I with all these personalities, there's no way this thing is more dominant than the personality of Khonshu. Right, facts. And he's dominated Khonshu in his own mind, so it's like he's already been contending with these things. Anything that affects the psyche, he's he's dealt dealt with that. Right? He's, he's not necessarily immune to it, right? But he has a tolerance. Like, 
it's like immunity via tolerance. Yeah, like he's yeah. so exposed to it that he's completely desensitized. He's familiar with the pain. Everyone else kind of gets taken over. Yeah, he's familiar with the pain. He's familiar with the um, the loss of control. He's familiar with having to gather himself back together. You know, it's like it gets to the point where he doesn't even lose control in these situations. He actually takes over the contagion's <laughs> mind. Because he's just so used to it, he's taking over their mind instead of the other way around when he lets them in. That's insane. It's insane. That's insane. So in the hierarchy on this list, who would you place in the hierarchy? Like, if you was to make a list of from top down, top being more ca- more capable, bottom being least capable. How would you how would you order that? Top down, I would probably put Brainiac number one. Mm, I like that. Iron Man and Lex Luthor would sort of be very interchangeable at two and three. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I just feel like they're heavily more more practical, more open to experimentation. Yeah, facts. And after that, it would go like Reed Richards, who's... Honestly, I'd, I'd argue Reed Richards is more intelligent than Luther or Stark. Mm-hmm. Just, he's so focused on, like, the one thing at a time type thing. He's so focused on this that he... Richards gets outsmarted by guys like the Mad Thinker. Facts. Simply because he doesn't recognize human patterns so well. Facts. And when you're dealing with this kind of stuff, that does play a big impact, which is why I would put Stark and Luther ahead of him. Right. Then Richards, then Fixer, and then I'd put Batman ahead of Moon Knight, Mm -hmm. but they're on the general same tier. I just put Batman ahead of Moon Knight for, as you said, Moon Knight's psychological instability is less workable yo i yo i think that's that's the good word for it that's a good word for it it's it's less workable it's it's very effective in a few situations like again any kind of thing that's mind altering right doesn't really bother moon knight all that much right but in any other situation like even at the start of the current Avengers Age of Khonshu arc everyone's like what's wrong are you off your meds again we can get you your help <laughs> and, it, and it's just like no he's doing something for a reason right it's just everyone goes straight to oh you're off your meds again they go straight to that because Bat- they know Batman's instability is more just deep rooted trauma that he never got over right it's and like at you the end said of the day, he dresses it up well everyone has forms of deep-rooted trauma facts, facts. it's just he, he we deal with it in different ways and most of us eventually get over it right batman just never has and what makes batman dangerous is that he's a man that's never gotten over his trauma he allows that trauma to inform his actions and then on top of that he has a bunch of money like that's yeah <laughs> it's, it's pretty dangerous right there well, that, that's the big thing for pretty much everyone on this list. With the exception of Fixer and Brainiac, mm-hmm. everyone on this list has a lot of money. Brainiac just 
doesn't need money. No, no. And, and you can argue he's got Fixer the... has never really been about he's he never does any of this stuff for money. He doesn't right. he doesn't do this stuff for monetary need or gain. So he falls under that like brainiac thing where it's not about the money. He doesn't necessarily need the money. The but rest of these guys, money is a big factor. But wouldn't you argue with Brainiac that his capturing of entire civilizations, like literally thousands of civilizations, the sum total of the wealth in those civilizations, like whatever wealth those civilizations generated is responsible for the civilization. Him snatching the civilization means he also snatched the wealth. Now, he probably doesn't look at it that way, of course. He's looking at knowledge, but everything that that civilization was worth he owns. <laughs> like, he took it. There's nothing there. Like It's all his. And he can't necessarily use the money to do anything, but the things that were developed with the money, he absolutely is using. He, he took the entire goddamn... He took everything. Like, if, he, if he came to Earth, they say the Earth... Uh, what, what is... I forget, what, I forget the number the actual number of, the total number of wealth on the planet. But this is one, this is one Earth, one, one planet, and Brainiac could just come and snatch all this shit up and move on to the next one, and he's done that thousands of times. So whatever Batman could get with his wealth, whatever Luther could get with his wealth, kind of pales in comparison to the resources that a Brainiac has, right? Like, Brainiac's resources have to be insane. Yeah. Again, how much of that, though, comes from his own planet that's, like, just sort of standard available? And, yo, exactly. And that was my point earlier. Like, how much of this is Brainiac's own doing? Like, we know uh, Lex Luthor built his fortune. And... Certainly, if he even if his father was wealthy, um, it was never to the degree that it is now, <laughs> thanks to to Lex. Yeah, same same with Stark. Same with Stark. Yeah, he inherited a company, but he built it to amazingly new heights. Yeah, yeah. And then after like what was it? The first Civil War and everything. Mm-hmm. His company basically got taken over, forcibly disbanded. He restarted. Right? And built it up into an international powerhouse from scratch himself again. So, in his case, it's heavily because he's capable of it. Thanks. Like, Brainiac's developed a lot of this stuff himself. Mm -hmm. Because, again, like, his race is more about theoretical practice, not experimental practice. So, the fact that he's actually experimenting means he's building this stuff himself. Right, right. Right. So, I mean, you have to give him the credit. He did build it up. Right. It's just how much, like, some of the work, like, the theoretical work must have been there beforehand, mm-hmm. and he just sort of expanded on it, then doing the practical stuff, he was able to develop more, because, unfortunately, if you don't put it into practice, you're never going to know how well the theoretical stuff works. Well, well, yeah, exactly what kind of adjustments you may need to make uh, 
that are practical to actually get it to function. It's still just theoretical until you you put it into play. I would argue, like, I think I like the way your list goes. Brainiac is definitely at the top of this. He's definitely at the top of this. I mean, it's just, it's really too much. Um, but but I, like I said about Lex Luthor earlier, I really believe for his level of genius, a lot of the things I've seen his armor do is beneath him. It's beneath his capability. Uh, L- Luther is insanely bright. And his armor, and I know some of his some of his choices with the armor also deals with a lot of his hubris. Um, he's operating in opposition to a Superman, right? So he's yeah. building the armor to function as op- in, in opposition to Superman's powers to try to negate a lot of Superman's advantages and all of that. Iron Man's suit is really a... Um, it, most of his suits are made for specific things, but his basic suit is to is basically there functioning to deal with whatever hit comes at him. Whatever comes at him, okay, this... This guy has this power. All right, I got to figure this out. I got tech for this or something I could uh, jury rig real fast to be effective because you see Tony Stark on the fly a lot of the times um, coming up with solutions in scenario, like literally in the field where it's hot and there are people shooting at him or attacking him. He's having an issue. He figures it out there, right there. I don't see Luther doing that a lot. I don't see him doing that a lot. As a matter of fact, sometimes I see Luther will have a plan when he goes in, but much like that old saying in boxing, everybody has a plan until they get hit in the, in the mouth, right? And I see that a lot of times with Luther. He'll have a plan, and as long as everything is working according to uh, what he had planned, he's good. But if somebody throws a monkey wrench in it, I haven't seen him be able to, at least not as efficiently as I've seen Stark handle shit on the fly like oh damn that's crazy I, I guess i gotta do this now oh damn that's crazy i guess i gotta do this now let me consult my my uh network uh computer or whatever to figure out what's going on now so i can figure out a solution to it and sometimes stark will do things that is co- that is uh counter to what his ai suggests because he has that, that creative mind to be able to think on the fly like that Lex, eh, eh. I, as a matter you're of- not wrong, <laughs> but I also propose a counterpoint here. Okay. Look at the prevalence of technological supersuits in each world. Right. In Marvel, they're everywhere. Yes. So being able to develop this kind of thing and develop it on the fly is more of a necessity. Right. In DC. There's a handful of supersuits, like tech-based supersuits. And most, most of them made are... by Batman and Lex. Exactly. <laughs> That's true. That's true. So one, once you take that out of the equation, the need to necessarily set up your stuff on the fly rather than just being able to plan what your suits are for is significantly different. Yeah, so in other words... Lu- Lu- Luther and Batman get the option to specialize every one of their suits. Right, right. 
where Iron Man, yeah, he has some special or specialist suits, but a lot of his suits are generalist because there are so many different super suits. There are so many, the amount of heroes, the amount of powers, the amount of villains, amount of abilities. Right. It's so much more vast that you can't create specialist suits for every situation. You have to be able to adapt. So you're saying because the situational, um, the environmental situation, that he's just more practiced at doing it because he has to be, where the other ones don't because they're not as uh, the demand for them to be that way isn't usually as strong in the situations they come across. That's fair. That's fair, because if you look at Batman, a lot of times what he'll do, like he has specific things for specific things. So he, as much as he doesn't like magic, he's, he's, he's a bit more familiar these days on how to use it, or not necessarily use it, but um, plan against it. And he's willing to do so. Before, he wasn't. He hated it. I used to say it's it's unknowable. It's not, but in truth, magic really isn't unknowable. Um, he just doesn't want to. He dedicate. doesn't want to dedicate the, the yeah because he kind of scoffs at it. Uh, to be honest, he kind of scoffs at it. Um, much like a lot of things, like if you look at the um, the Green Lantern ring. When my daughter was talking about this the other day, and I told her about um, Batman has had a ring come to him, and he refused it because he said it would just get in his way. Uh, that ring is some parts tech, some parts mystical. And I'm wondering which part of that Batman is objecting to. Is he objecting to the mystical aspect of it? Is he objecting to the fact that he feels it takes no work to acquire this ability and he's more of a, everything I know how to do, I had to uh, sweat and apply myself to know how to get that and this guy they gave him a ring <laughs> that has all these followers in it and maybe he kind of scorns at that or maybe yeah, it's a bit of everything with that you know again it's a com- I think it's a combination of everything he doesn't like you talk about how much work he puts into things but then he won't really get involved with magic because he doesn't want to put in the, the work, work right right Right. Uh, so I do think it's like, yes, partly it's you're just being given this stuff. Mm-hmm. But partly because like his mind almost won't let him explore that scenario. Yeah. I think this he the has way he's to do ordered. things a very certain way. Mm-hmm. He's very ordered about that sort of thing. Um, it's kind of, it's, it's, it's interesting. When you break down the um, motivations, intentions, and psyche of these characters. Imagine we only really talked about uh, today uh, one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight of them, right? Um, like when you start breaking down their their mental uh, 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 motivations and the things that inspire them to do and why they do the things they do, it's far it's far deeper when you start talking about the versus stuff. Like you, you have to go a little deeper because it's not just about their feats and what they can do. It's about what they're likely to it's do. It's also comparative to what's around. Like, yeah, yeah. 
Yeah. At least in this scenario, it's not like it's uh like the Marvel Max universe where there is no superheroes. So it's like right. if you have someone like that, it's it's not a com- valid comparable right. because you don't have superheroes. Exactly. You're only comparing it to guys of human strength and human capabilities. And some people might be uh a little better at certain things than other people, but none of them reach superhuman. It may be just under superhuman, but none of them really reach that. Yeah, it's true. That's true. Um, so I'm thinking that's it. Um, I want to thank everybody that's still listening to our show. Um, this is our ninth episode, I believe. Coming up on ninth. Yes. Um, and I got to tell you guys, like, during these shows and and the type of preparation that uh, the saga uh, does for these episodes, uh, it's a lot of work. <laughs> it's a lot of work. And I want you to take a little time out to check out his blog. You're still, you're, you're, you got any, anything new coming up on your blog? I'm writing a history article right now that I'm working on. That's, uh, more about how history kind of whitewashes certain aspects of things Ah. where if we uh, if I were to go into it heavily it'd be things like one of the main topics is uh, Alexander Alexander Dumont the uh, writer of the the Three Musketeers Yes, Mm -hmm. and the fact that most people were always taught like he's a French writer, even in in movies and television, he's portrayed as white. He he was black. Yep, he was a black guy. Yep. His his grandmother was, uh, I believe, a Haitian slave. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. His father, Thomas Alexander Dumont, was at the time the highest ranking military officer in Europe for someone who was not white. Right. Fought he was fought for the king and then eventually fought for, uh, for Napoleon right? before getting stripped of his titles and everything from Napoleon, because during the invasion of Egypt and everything, all the Egyptians found Thomas Alexander Dumont more, more charismatic, more Mm -hmm. likable, more Mm -hmm. respectable. And they basically said, we're willing to stay with the French as long as this guy is our leader. Not <laughs> we don't we don't care about Napoleon. Yes, we'll we'll serve Napoleon, but we want this guy as he's our representative. Guy. Yeah, he's the guy. We want him as our representative to you, not. And that actually caused a bit of an ego issue for Napoleon, who in his younger days was fair. Like in his younger days, Napoleon was fairly skinny. Mm-hmm athletic build Mm -hmm. charismatic but as he got older i forget what the condition he had was but he basically put on a lot of weight no matter what he could do right couldn't lose it and had all this other stuff and it basically this isn't the guy that we thought we were getting this isn't the charismatic guy we got but it also talks heavily about how Alexander Dumont's books, he regularly talked about things like social justice, racial equality. He had a a book where he basically inserted himself as the hero, Mm -hmm. where he led slave rebellions in the Caribbean. Ah. uh, People talk about how, like, the Three Musketeers, 
one of them in the books was written as a homosexual. Right. And one of them was black. In the movies, it's always three straight white White guys. guys. Yep, yep. It's like, no, one of them was always meant to be black. One of them was always meant to be homosexual. And it was just more like the fraternity of brotherhood that kept them all together because they didn't care about that kind of thing. Right. And as you said... They they were all brothers. Right. And as you said, uh, it was pretty much whitewashed out of the story. Or Um, even if you look at The Man in the Iron Mask was mm -hmm. another book, like that popular movie and opera and all that. That was all stuff that he wrote. And there's still, I think it was even like 15 years ago, they actually discovered another unpublished book that he had written, like a full unpublished book. It's been published since then, but it's like, how often is it you have a guy from 200 years ago who is putting, who still has like so many significant works that are being put out now? Right. And yet, all the time it's like we're always talking it's like oh yeah he's he's french so he's always portrayed as white he's yeah, always yeah. portrayed as they this talk about like, his no, nationality he, he was, instead of he was a black man right he was a black man and it, he regularly talked about the fact that he was outcast from a lot of high society because he was always invited and welcome once they realized he was black he was outcast mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and yeah so that's something i'm working on right now well uh you can all check that out on the saga. Give them the name of your um the uh, website they can search for. Okay, uh, it's supersaiguy.wordpress.com. Like that article isn't out yet, mm-hmm. but I'm in the middle of writing it, and it's going to be my next article. Dope, dope. So be on the lookout for that. You can um, check out the latest uh, Black Culture Geeks uh, uh, podcast from this past weekend that should be up on Spotify now as well as um, let's discuss Disney Plus and yeah come check out Multiworld in general because we're producing a whole lot of content a whole lot of interesting content funny lightning whatever and, and also completely trash at times <laughs> so <laughs> come check us out so um, for my uh, man Super Sai Guy I am Tombstone the Dead Man. We are Metas and Mutants, and we are out. Peace, peace.